Father God, in the name of Jesus, we come before you this morning thanking you for another Thursday morning. Lord, we're right on the brink of the weekend. We're headed there. And we're grateful unto you for all you've done. You brought us from Sunday back until Friday. We're from Monday to Friday, Father, and we thank you for it. We give you glory. We give you the honor. We give you the praise. And, Lord, you know what each of us are going through. And, God, we ask that you would come and quiet the storm, calm the storm. And, Lord, teach us your ways. Teach us your word. Teach us wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. For in all our getting, you said to get understanding. Father, you also inspired them to put in the book of James, if any man like wisdom, let him ask of God. They give liberally and upbraid it tonight. Have mercy this morning, Father, on your people, especially this faithful few that come every morning to hear what the Spirit have to say to the church. Father, we ask today, again this morning, that you would move in a mighty way for each of us. Fix our hearts, regulate our minds. Father, you gave us power, love, and a sound mind. Let us operate in the power of the sound mind that you have given to us. Lord, don't let us be spasmodic and all over the place and God, help us hold us together in one place and use us in your service to bless your people. As people come here to testify, Lord, don't let this be their platform where they want to come and show what they're talking about and they want to teach the people. But, Lord, let them come and talk of your wondrous works and make known your deeds among the people. Help them to come here and talk about your goodness, not teach but tell of your goodness what you've done in their lives and the kind of God that you have been to them if they're not ashamed. Moved by your spirit today in testimonies all over the world that people would come and tell of your goodness in the name of Jesus. We thank you this morning. We give you glory, honor, and praise. Ask that you would bless this segment of Jesus in the morning. Have your way here. Moved by your spirit in a mighty way. And Father, we ask that you would touch Brother Louis' body. Touch and heal today in the name of Jesus. Anybody that's on the verge of that, God, we ask that you would bind it up and cast it back to the pits of hell. We ask it all in the name of Jesus. And Father, we thank you this morning. And we don't want to just come for your blessings. Father, we want to come to walk upright before you, to do what's pleasing and acceptable unto you. This is what we want to do. We want to be workers in your vineyard. We want to be the candle on the hill that can't be here. We want to be the salt of the earth, what gives the earth its savor. Help us this morning, O oh God, to be this unto you. Help us to calm our minds, seek your face. Turn from my wicked ways. You're going to hear from heaven and forgive the sins and heal the land. Do it for us, Father. Continue to bless your people like never before. Touch and heal this morning. Heal your people, O oh God. You made them for your pleasure. Sickness, it, it, it don't feel good. Although many things are not sick, the sickness is not unto death, the suffering. Touch and heal stomachs this morning. Heal, Father. 
touching here hearts and minds, everybody part, natural and spiritually this morning, oh God, heal, natural and mentally, heal this morning in the name of Jesus. Father, again, touch Brother Louis and heal this morning. Whatever shouldn't be, take it away from him, Father, in the name of Jesus. We give you glory. We give you the honor and praise. And, Father, we ask it all again in Jesus' name. Amen and hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Hallelujah. Welcome to Jesus in the morning. I'm the host of this is Barbara Pittman of Peter Endorse Ministries, and I come to you live this week, weekday morning, 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And today is June the 8th, 2023. And we are really and truly six months and eight days into this new year. When I tell you it's moving, I often say when it moves so fast, look like June got feet and started running. I'm going to run on out of here when you know anything. We in July. Oh, yeah. So we thank God today for all he has done, what he's doing right now, and what he's going to do. And I thank you so much for those that sent song requests. And if you haven't heard the song song yet, don't get discouraged. It's coming. Some songs um, I can't play because of the wobble wobble in it. Because of the, uh, uh-uh. I, I just can't play it. I have to be careful what I play. The enemy is the prince of the air. And a lot of this stuff, I know they're calling it gospel rap, gospel contemporary, whatever they're calling it. But I have to be careful and make sure the Spirit of God is leading and guiding me. Yeah, because see, what people don't understand is the music industry. And I know this is gospel music, and they're saying some words, and it's sound, uh-uh, uh-uh, we got to be careful. So some things I can't play, but you can send, send me whatever you want, and I promise you I appreciate it. I promise you I appreciate every song. Because there's some songs I didn't know about. Yeah. And there are some that I do know about. And I, I got uh, one yesterday. And uh, or was it the day before? But for the likes of me, I love this song. And I think I forgot to play it yesterday. But I love it. So y'all Okay. All right, let me make sure this is the song and we going in to play it. I should I, I know I downloaded it. Uh come on now. All right, we had trouble yesterday with certain things and, and it's acting as if we wanna have some today, but I tell God thank you. And and keep it moving. Let's see. Don't want to do it Sunday. Okay. Wait a minute, y'all. I've got to see. Let me find it. Let me find it. I know I downloaded it into the studio. Okay, I'm doing a lot, so I'm going to stop doing and just focus right here where I am. And uh, instead of being all over the place, uh, 
Well, let's go to this one, and then I'm going to find the other one. I know I
in Jesus' name. Look, Brother Lewis wanted me to tell y'all today, be careful with the shingles. He said they come out with a new medication for it, a new shot for shingles. And if you can get that, you need to go ahead and get that, he's saying, because he said that shingles is no joke. He said to have you very sick in pain, oh my goodness, and, and some other stuff. So he said, get it if you're able to get it. Yeah. He said he had uh, planned on going to get the new one that wasn't uh, made out of fetal tissues. He was going to get that shot. And he put it off, and he was going to get it at his regular doctor's appointment. He said, and he woke up with shingles. And I was putting off getting it because we were waiting for Medicare to cover because it's about $200. I decided I was going to get it anyway, but it was too late. He said, that shingles thing is no joke. It's no joke. He says, very painful, and it makes you very sick. So if you can go get the new shingle shot, go get it. So, Brother Lewis, can you tell me uh, what brings on shingles? I, I, I was thinking older age, and I don't know. So if you can tell me what brings that on, I'll get right on that, because we, we want to start about 8, 8.30. To bring the word today, I got some awesome testimonies for y'all today. For us, for us, for us, my job. Like I'm excluded <laughs> from living right. <laughs> I don't need to get right. I'm better than everybody else. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I have some awesome, awesome testimonies for us. And I think I said for you because I already listened in a little bit, you know. And, uh, one had me just praising God, yeah. And I thank God for what he has done in my life. I really do. I thank him for how he kept me from so many bad things. Yeah, it has kept me from so many bad things. It has kept me from, from a lot of suffering. A lot of suffering. It kept me. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I just thank him for leading God. And I thank him for my parents. Shante, you know, she tell me all the time, she's like, Mama, Mama, <laughs> Mama, your childhood was beautiful. I'm like, yo, but wait a minute. But I understand what she's saying. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. But you train them up, they're coming back to it. But you got to train them in the way they should go. And see, a lot of people don't train their children according to the word of God because they're not walking in it. They're not living it. And that will mess us up every time. And if you don't give them children a foundation in God, you wait till they're older, they're not going to take that. Yeah. My youngest daughter, my baby, she took her daughter to church. She served on the uh, usher board, and I think she sang in the choir. She taught Sunday school, so at least the baby got a little foundation. Now, uh, I can't say they're still in the church now, and the baby out of there, but 
when the baby get old, she won't deposit. She got to come back. And that's what I bank on. My children took their children to church. And when they get old, they're coming back to God. I ain't saying to the building. I said to God. Yeah. And it's all right today in Jesus' name. Brother Lewis says, serious pain. Can't sleep much. This is what Shangles is doing. Serious pain. Can't sleep much. He said, it's called the chickenpox virus laying dormant. It lasts for four to six weeks. Four to six weeks. The virus, the chickenpox virus laying dominant. I never had chickenpox. I had the measles. These little tiny, tiny little red bumps all over my face, my neck, my back, my hands. I used to look at it and scream. Ah! My mom said, what's wrong with you? I said, some kind of little things on me. She would laugh. They would take sardines and a clean white cloth, put the sardines, the, 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 uh, what they call it, the broth off the sardines in the can, and put it under your chin and tie it to lift your chin up. I think that's what they was doing. And it's only certain things they would allow me to eat when I had measles. I said, can I have pineapple juice? She didn't know. But my dad went on and got the pineapple juice because he saw, I, you know, I wasn't eating my regular diet. So him and her, my mom and dad was trying to do everything they could to make me comfortable. comfortable. And then I would try to play on that. What about ice cream? My daddy said no. My mom looked at him because he, she never heard him tell me no like that, in other words. Not to ice cream. And that was like my birthmark, they call it. That was my favorite thing in the whole wide world. Because back then, Louis, we were getting real ice cream. You can tell the difference in that and this that we're getting today. It's got a funny taste to it today. I don't care who makes it. But when you make a homemade in that churn, it come out perfect. <laughs> yeah. He said, if you are not sure you never had chicken pox, I think you're saved. Just Google shingles. Okay, I will. I never had chicken pox. I would have known about that because I see my sister have it and a few people in the neighborhood and, and, and they had these stains on them and then it turned to black spots or something and it said that it was in, turning in. But I don't. I, I didn't know a whole lot about it. I guess I didn't care about it because <laughs> I wasn't suffering from it, you know. But I knew a little bit about the measles. But they made it comfortable for me, so I didn't put too much in that. Mumps, mumps, sister dot, that's what it was. The mumps, not the measles. They put that sardine juice on the white cloth under your neck. Mumps. I had the mumps and I had measles, but I never had um, chicken pox. They say they used to itch you, and I, see, I didn't know. I, I never experienced that. Yeah. But I thank God this morning. I thank God this morning that he is a healer. He heals all manner of sickness and disease. And I am truly grateful unto him, the healer of sickness and disease. Every kind. He, he don't pick no certain kind now. All of it. Yeah, he got the power to fix it. And I'm grateful. I thank him. I give him glory, honor, and praise. 
And uh, we're going to keep praying for Brother Lewis that God, you will remove this from his body. Let it come out and never return in the name of Jesus. Father, we know you're able. You heal all manner of sickness and disease. You took a beating for the healing of the nation. Hallelujah. There's yet healing in you, not just the hem of your garment, but in you. You have the power to heal. And, Father, we're asking for your healing power concerning Brother Lewis and anyone else that's sick here today. Loose limbs, oh God. Let it be like it was back in the day. You said, would you be healed? And the blind man, I mean, the, the, the lame man got up and walked. You went over there and put spit paste on the blind man. I told him to go wash in the pool. And he became a man who could see. So what you see, I see men looking like trees. He touched him again. What you see now, he saw regularly. And God can do it for you if we'll go to him. Go to him repenting as often as you can, because we all messed up somewhere along the line. We all, if it wasn't nothing but a bad thought, if it wasn't nothing, we said something harsh to somebody. But we think because we don't drink and drugs, I, I, you know, we are, we are better sinners. <laughs> sin is sin. There's no big sin and no little sin. Uh, you know, I like Deacon so-and-so, and I'm going to invite him over to the house. Because many of us don't do that. We think we better sinners than the others. Sin is sin. Again, no big sin and no little sin. False. Your thoughts can even be a sin. Yeah. I want to share this with you this morning, and then we're watching the clock because we want to get in there between 8 and 8.30 and bring these wonderful, wonderful testimonies today. So listen to this. This is called Out of My Control. These are the things that are out of your control. God's timing, his outcome, and the outcome of any situation is out of your control. Your past is out of your control because you can't go back in your past and fix nothing. It, it is what it is, and it's gone. Forgive yourself from your past and move on because it's out of your control. Others' actions. What other people do to you is out of your control. You really can't control what each and every person will do to you. Yes, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Lord, touch Shara I today. Make it like nothing ever happened to it in the name of Jesus. You heal all manner of sickness and disease. Father, there's nothing too hard for you to do. As she reach in this day to touch the hem of your garment, Father, I ask that you would make her whole. Bring her back, God. Let the years roll back for Shelly. In the name of Jesus, move today in healing, oh God, for their household. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen and hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. I just saw that, so I had to jump right on it. So looking, 
Listen, others' actions, you, you, you have no control over that. You don't have no control how people treat you. You, you. you have no control of what they talk about you behind your back or say about you. You, you don't have control of that. These things are out of your and my control. Let's say out of our control. It's out of there. People's perception of us individually, each one of us, because we all don't know all the same people. So what they think about us, we have no control over that. I can be the best person in the world. Kind-hearted, soft, I can give the shirt off my back, talk loving and, and wonderful to people, never act a fool. When I talk to people, they never hear a cuss word. They hear the word of God. They don't know it, but they hear the word from the, from the good book, as we call it. I cannot control what they think about me, what they feel about me. Some people may not like me for that, those traits. Oh, she's a goody two-shoe. Miss Miss Do-Gooder. They, they won't like me for that. So I have no control. It's out of my control. When growth happens, when growth happens, that's out of my control too. Yeah, that's out of my control because guess what? He even told us don't think more of ourselves than we ought to. If any man deserving, he'll, he'll add to him such as should be. He'll give to them what's, what, what they should have. I can study, I can focus, I can listen. But the true root of the thing is, is in God's control. The future, it belongs to God. We found out many things that will take place in our future. I ministered to a lady yesterday concerning her future. And that's why they run to, to the prophets because they want to know the future. But that's God, and that was God that spoke out my mouth to that woman. That was not me. I don't know her life, and if I'm honest, I'm too busy to be about her life, but where I can help her, I'm willing to do it. She's over to a friend of mine's house. And my friend was explaining, I said, and I can help her. The friend said, oh, well, let's see. Because, see, I'm a giver. I trust God. He's a cheerful giver. He loves a cheerful giver. I can give to anybody. I don't have to think about it, wait about it. I'm not that kind. I give and let the Lord do the rest. I plant seeds and he multiplies. Hardly, even in my mind, look. It keeps in a sound mind. I pray that it's mine being me that was also in Christ Jesus. God does a lot for me because he loves a cheerful giver. And I plant not just money, time, effort, work. I'm doing 10 things that it appear at one time. I'm working with this person to get them blessed, working with them to get them blessed, working with them. And know what people forget all about other people. They just focus on what they're going through. You give them the word, they take it and throw it in file number six, the little suitor, in the garbage can. So it's me, it's me, I'm. Yeah. Now you want God to come in and bless you. 
Let that foolishness go. Do what you're supposed to do and stop holding on to your flesh thinking, leaning to your own understanding, because that messes up every time, too. God said, let them go over there, because if they go over there, I'm going to bless over there, and I'm going to change that whole place where they are. Oh, no, I can't. Changing people. You can't change nobody. People are who they are. I'm guilty. I've tried to change men before. That don't work. They are who they are, and they're going to be who they are. Huh? I've tried to change my children. Couldn't do it. Why? They are who they are, and they're going to be who they are. All of that is out of our control. God's timing is out of our control. We want this done, this thing done today. God is not moving for five years. What you going to do? That's when we run out and get squirrely bird and think it's about us. Because he's not moving on your, your, your little thing now. He don't move on mine. Something it took me 20 years to get. Or more. I started off in 1993. I didn't start really receiving the blessings, the true blessings of God financially until just a few years ago. Amen, Brother Lord. Only God can change the heart. We can. Now, this is what you can control. This is what we can control. Walking by faith. What we focus on. Walking by faith. Walking, believing God. We we can control that. What we focus on. Where our minds are. What we really and truly about. If it's money, that's where our mind going to be. If it's luxury, think that's where our mind going to be. If it's following the crowd, that's where our mind going to be. And I would be praying in this hour to be a leader and not a follower. They done mess our young youth, young adults up so bad. I look at some of the young men that come to me confused. And guess what they do? I'm talking about, about the true church, the word of God. Which Bible is right? We didn't have all of this coming up. It was right or wrong, yes or no. Church or the devil. I mean, a church or the street or the world. God or the devil. And see, you had two simple choices, basically, in some, somewhat everything. But because man was confused in his mind, he, he decided to dig and get more. When God says study to show that self-approval, he ain't talking about the galaxy and the universe. Now, look here. Seek his face and turn from your wicked ways. You're going to grow in him. When I first came to the Lord, I didn't know nothing about the book. The bees and the thou, certain things, you know, uh, uh, God so loved the world. Uh, the Lord is my shepherd. What that is, the 23rd Psalm. But it brought us through. It brought us from the 50s to the 2023. It was good enough for my mom and daddy. It's good enough for me. But these young people are confused because in the house, they don't confuse them. They got all this entertainment. They come out with prosperity. Just so much stuff to mess the people up. Who don't want some money? Where they at? Money answers all things. 
They brought the business in the church. They brought uh, money, uh, 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 what they did in the temple back then. Jesus beat them out of there. They brought that in the church. He said his house would be called a house of prayer, not money making, not selling stuff. They sell their books, their CDs right from the pulpit. In the house. I know they couldn't have been in the book. And they feel comfortable with that. Nothing wrong with it. He said, don't do it. That's what he said, not me. The money changes. He beat them out of that. But they do all kinds of, and people run after all kinds of books. You don't even know these people's background. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah, I think that's what I need. Right now, I need Jesus to lead and guide me so I don't be messed up out here in these streets. That's what I need. Because, see, if you're willing to work for his people, he's going to give you something that other people don't have. I'm sorry. Because you got to work with all kinds of people. He gives you an anointing like you never saw before. He gives you wisdom and knowledge and understanding. Guess what? Right on the spot when you first talk to them, God begin to tell you. But we on some other stuff, and these children are messed up, and we still run into the church to my pastor. Pastor, get out my face. Because I don't think you were sent by God. Either you weren't sent by God or I wasn't sent over here by God. One of the two. You're still drinking and, and, and partying and, 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 and celebrating what you shouldn't be. And I can't be a part of all of that. Jesus is coming back. I promise you. And he's looking for his church without spot of rank. Yes, ma'am. And yes, sir, he is. And if we're celebrating and partying and doing all this stuff we're not supposed to do, uh, he will see that we are not his. We don't belong to him. We belong to somebody else. Yeah, we don't belong to God. Let me get a little further because we're going to start. Walking by faith, that's walking in, trusting and believing God. What I focus on, where's my focus today? Am Am I focused on uh, winning souls unto God. It is my focus on feeding those who don't have food, giving clothes to those who don't have clothes. It's some low poverty places right here where you're at. Whatever state you live in, you just have to find out where they are and see if there's anybody in, in, in the church or wherever you at on the job who like to help homeless poor people. Y'all get together and get the stuff. Some women, they never had fancy soap to bathe with, like a Burbank. I love Burbank. It's expensive, but it cleans. Make that skin look so wonderful. So look, you know, if you can, squeeze a bar or two of Burbank in there. Yeah, some of these girls nowadays got some beautiful fragrances. Go on to Macy's, some high-end store like that, and ask them, what's the latest fragrance? They might spray some on a card and fan it for you. That fragrance will stay on that card forever and a day, like sliding in a Ziploc bag. When you go to help the low-income women, let them smell that. How that smell? Oh, that's wonderful. I'm, I'm, I brought this to you. But we don't want to focus on the right thing. We want to focus on the house on the hill with the dog named Fluffy. We want to focus on cars and trucks and and, and being in the spotlight and shopping, 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 shopping. And I got to see what all that shopping did. (laughs) What are you going to do with it? 
you don't even have enough room to put it. So they, so they come up with it, mama. You got to use it all your space. <laughs> you got to use it all your space, right? I started cleaning stuff like that. I got my closet in my bedroom yesterday, last night. That was beautiful. Oh, it looks so nice and neat. Now, I got to go to the back closet again. I just went to it, but I'm going to the back closet again and give some rest. I've got luggage and different things. I've got to get rid of it. I'm getting rid of it. Don't worry. It's, it's got to go. Matter of fact, I'm going to get with Sally today, uh, Brother Louis. I'm going to get with Sally today so they can come. Take what you can for right now and come back for the rest. I'll call you when I got the rest together. Yeah. And uh, I know you've told me about them for years and, and said wonderful things. And I had a, one bad experience. But guess what? Through you, God has blessed me to honor Sally. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Isn't that beautiful, Brother Lewis? Yeah. So I'm grateful this morning. Look, believe in God's word. Now, we can control that. We can control studying. We can control reading it. Uh, we can control praying and asking God for an understanding of it, of his word. Rest. Instead of all worried of, all worried of, that'll kill you, whether you know the stress, I can't sleep, my mind on this, I want that, what they're going to do to me, they're going to throw me out of my house, they're going to take my car, I don't have insurance, I'm a kid's hungry. Look, look, all of that will kill you. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. And you'll see your body deteriorate. You'll start having pain in places you never had pain before. And it's not because of older age. Because all of us here are not senior citizens. All of us here, we're not old people. Not all of us. Some of us are older. Seniorly, elderly. The difference, I think, in being senior and elderly. Elderly, they're not getting around. And elderly, they just want to, you know, stay uh, uh, doing nothing. But seniors, they off the chain. Like a dark and good Some days I have to laugh. That sister there, <laughs> computer savvy, know how to work Facebook, know how to work Instagram. I said, if that sister don't chill over there, yeah. And if you encourage her, oh, my goodness, it means so much to her. And, you know, I didn't announce her birthday. I need a spanking. I put it over on Facebook and didn't say, today, you got to get your birthday song. Don't worry. I got your birthday song. I'm so sorry about that, Sister Dot. So what that makes me do is uh, put a gift in the mail to you. That, that'll fix that. How about that? Yeah. I've been so busy, so busy, so busy. And, and I'm going to call you, Sister Dot. I am going to call you and talk to you. Because this woman helped me with all my groups. Faith that coming to Jesus in the morning. In the holiday come, she blessed me. Sends me beautiful cards. She loved the ministry. And I know she loved me. Brought her daughter, her granddaughter, her son-in-law. Many people, many people come through because of Dorothy Goodman. And it's only right I treat her right. And through the year, through the months, in the years, I need to be finding something to send to her. I got something for you too, Sister Dot. I'm looking at it. 
and it's going to be all right. Indeed. I got to get to that post office because I got to go check on another out-of-country package. And I told him this guy, if that package don't get that now, I'm going to tell y'all it's going to be war in the city. Yeah. So I got to check on that. And uh, I I, I just got to say it right. You know, sometimes people be jealous of foolishness. People are jealous of foolishness. Let's say I'm shipping a package to Germany. Brother Lewis said, hey, Sister Dot, happy birthday, Sister Dot. Say it, Brother Lewis. People are crazy. People are jealous because you got to take from your business schedule to go check on a package at the post office. Mine all the way around the building someday. Only one person working the window. You're going to be there 20, 30 minutes trying to mail one package. And then you tell him, and then he tell me, I, I remember the package, but I don't know what happened. And, can I tell you a spirit of jealousy? You black, what you doing shipping to Germany? Uh, did you know black soldiers was over there? I'm just saying, just how things go. People are, are, are mentally challenged real bad in their head. You're going to be jealous of me because I got to drive down to the prison 45 minutes going, sit down there all day and 45 minutes coming back. Not that I don't enjoy what I go to do now. But that's time out of my schedule. But God is sending me, I must obey. And I don't mind. I don't mind. But I'm just saying, people jealous of that. They don't know how you really feel about things, but they jealous of some foolishness. That is crazy to me. I come every morning at 7 a.m. Do you know I got to wait on God to give me the message of the day? I got to wait on God to tell me what to do. And I think that was last Monday. Could have been yesterday. No, that was Monday. I didn't. I, I couldn't focus in a way because I'm doing the Boy Sunday Fellowship. I got a family in dire straits. I'm getting calls from other people. My spiritual daughter needed me. Just a whole bunch of stuff. Then my biological daughter, I got to talk to her. She'll say something like, okay, well, mama call me back uh, <laughs> next month if you get a chance, please. Well, maybe you, you know, maybe it'll be during the Christmas holiday. Just call me back during the Christmas holidays when you get a chance because she don't get a chance to talk to her mama. But she knows ministry come first. People come first. She's saved. She know the Lord. She's been going through some things that I had to get with her last night, but in love. Because, see, when people going through in the flesh, you, you can't just come straight to some of them and just tell them how it is. No, no matter, don't do that. You're going to make an enemy. I don't care how related they are to you. So in loving kindness, I had to draw her back in. She wants to come home. <laughs> she came in February and March and got a taste of the goodness. She ready to come home. And mama, I said, what? You made them chicken and dumplings like that. Mama, you did that to torture your baby? I said, no. You know that's just the way I cook chicken and dumplings. What's wrong with you? All that freedom mama I had, we just riding out laughing and singing. 
Mama, you took me down there to Bono's and everything. Yeah, because I wanted to. You're on vacation in a way. She worked every day. But yet for her to be home, it was kind of like a vacation. And I wanted her to enjoy herself. She got a taste of that goodness. She is not happy. I done told God about it. I don't want to talk about it no more. Now, you got to talk back to him now because you got to tell him something. So I um, worked with her. I worked with her last night. And I know she was feeling better. So look at here. She wanted to get with me. Do y'all hear me? Yeah, she wanted to tell me what was on her mind over there. But she was hot. Yeah. But it's all right in Jesus' name. I know you do, Brother Lord. I miss my mama's chicken and dumpling as well. All them things used to be just buttery rich for no reason but like. Okay, we're moving right along. Loving people. For God is love. If God is in you, it's, it's easy to love people. I've got myself in trouble many times. The words that guard your heart. They didn't hurt me, but I got to see what they was after. They they was I, I wasn't their cup of tea. They came to me when they needed and wanted something. After that, they didn't have no friendship for me. They had a need, and I could meet that need through God. But yet I love them. And I came loving as a friend. But that's not the reason. And that's not what it was. Yeah. Because the scripture said in order to obtain friends, one must show himself friendly. So I come friendly. But they don't want a they don't want a friend. They wanted God to use me to bless them. And it's okay. It's okay. I don't you know, I I hope people don't get offended. And well, I won't call her number. No, no, no. I'm just showing that was on me, not on the people. I didn't get hurt. God protected me. And I didn't go in deep enough, so I got it my heart anyway. Hallelujah. So look, bold prayer. Where can you pray at? Can you pray out in the open anywhere? Are you ashamed? You think people going to think you crazy because you pray in Walmart? You going in Walmart and you praying, Lord, and it's coming out your mouth. Other people can hear it, Lord, let everything I need be on sale. Because before you left home, you said, Lord, you even got in the right path. And then you remember you had to go to Walmart for stuff. And you didn't pray to pray faith on that. So going in Walmart, you 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 don't forget about people. You need what you're going at to be on sale because you know what's in your pocket. Bold prayer. Can you stand up in front of a group of people, thousands of people, and pray the prayer of faith? Not, not praying because the people are listening, but you praying from the sincerity of your heart for the people and for yourself. God includes you. Hallelujah. My actions. Our actions we can control. The scripture said be angry, but sin not. If I get angry with you, I don't have to cuss you out. I don't have to slap your face <laughs> to the back of your head. I just wanted to say that see y'all that tickle me. <laughs> I got tickled. I don't have to do anything to you. I don't have to tell nobody else. I don't have to plant or plan your demise. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. So whatever go on my actions, how I talk to people. 
Now, sometimes people need a little push to get going in the right direction. So you may have to say some things to get them going in the right direction. You just can't come here and say and do anything you want to do at my house or on Jesus in the morning. God gave me a mandate. I, I, I can't do all that you're talking about. So I got to put you in your place and, and, and go on. Anybody heard of the young man, T.I.? He said, be a group and keep it moving, shorty. You don't know me. Yeah, and you don't know how I am about my house and Jesus in the morning and Freedom Doors Ministry and the people that attend. These are God's people. He made them for his pleasure. And I can't afford to let nobody come here and talk no kind of craziness to the people. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to put your, your mask on you and your blindfold and send you on down the street. Somebody out there going to accept it because they messed up in their mind too. But over here, we have sound minds. Power, love, and sound mind. And the power of a sound mind, that's what we have over here. We're looking for Jesus. We're looking for the blessings of God, the miracles of God, uncommon things. We just looking for no house on no here with no dog named Fluffy. We're looking for the mansion. And the mansion don't come first. Jesus come first. We're seeking him. And because we seek him and work unto him, he rewarded us with what was in our heart, the intent he knew about our heart. And then there somewhere was a nice mansion. And you put mama on one side. You brought your sister over there and her husband. And some of your children came, you know. And all of that. Y'all got two or three pools on. Oh, it's just off this. Mm, mm, mm. Then you see the design he gave to Moses and Israel out there over in Exodus. Did you see the design, the way he designed his house? So when he gives that mansion, you, you couldn't imagine what's in it. You ain't pay a dime. Louis, you just can't give a mic to just anyone. He preaching this morning. <laughs> And I know that's right, Brother Lewis. I am with you when you're right. Yes, sir. So look, our action. Taking my, our thoughts captive. Taking our thoughts captive. We got a controller. Sometimes they get off the chain, bring it back into, into submission. Make that flesh behave. I have thought, and the devil said, oh, they did. I said, no, sir, I will not judge. I would. I don't care what. You're not going to cause me to judge. And that's not the way I see them. Sometimes it's some natural thing, but that ain't what's happening. Looks can be deceiving. Hmm. Because if any man in Christ is a new creature, people may be struggling with something. If you can't pray for them and encourage them, walk away. Walk away. Walk away. But you just get rowdy. But in the, in, the, in the public eye, you want to look like the professional, the this, the dad, and, you know, I'm just a corporate literate, and I'm just want to give God a testimony, a real one. Look here, I'm crazy as a bed bug. Y'all pray for my mind. I, 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 I'm certifiably crazy. Y'all pray for my mind. Look, 
I've been going with Big John for years. We married. I don't want to marry him, but it's hard for me to turn him loose. Y'all pray for me. God will honor that. Do you know that? God honors the truth. But we try to, you know, hide. Corinthians 10 and 5, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted, exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. I like all that kind of carrying on right there. Corinthians 10 and 5. Thank you, Brother Louis. I like that kind of carrying on. It blesses me real good. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Where my paper went. Taking my thoughts captive. I can't let them run wild. See, that's just like this. After you become into, you know, 12 years old, you talk some things, and your sins are on you after 12. You're coming into young adulthood, your teenage years in young adulthood, I'm sorry. But look, if nobody's teaching you nothing, you won't know nothing. But if you got good godly parents that's teaching you this right here, get control of yourself, get control of your thoughts. Because some people don't went too far. They thought about something and then it kept, it wouldn't go away. They wouldn't make it go away. So it grew and grew. Wonder what it'll feel like to shoot up a school. Wonder what it'll feel like to shoot 10 people. Wonder what it'll feel like to go over to the abortion clinic and just blow it up. Shoot the people out there protesting. Wonder what that feel like. Because you let it go and grow too far. Bring your mind under captivity. Take care of your mind. Let this mind be in me that was also in Christ Jesus. Help me, Lord, to obey you like your son Jesus obeyed. We got some things to talk to God about. Every thought, he said, every thought. And don't let it grow. Don't let it fester in you. Wonder what it feel like to steal that Louis Vuitton bag. They don't be watching it. I can get that bag. Well, you know anything? You done stole two or three bags. You done stole a coat, boots. You just want to know what it feel like. That's what the, the enemy told you, and your flesh told you. You just want to see what it felt like to just took, take one Louis Vuitton bag. It ain't even been two months. You, you you three weeks or two weeks in and look at all the stuff you done accumulated through stealing. Because you didn't control your mind. You never stole nothing before. You never even thought about stealing. If I don't have the money, I ain't going in the store. But now you done let this thought in your imagination run away with you. Who, who would that see under temptation to just your imagination running away with you? That part was true. We let our imaginations run away with us, and we keep thinking on this thing and thinking on it. And, and the thought of a thing is real. It makes the thing real. 
And when you know anything, you'd have stole Louis Vuitton bags and other stuff. I used to love Chanel this and Chanel that. When you look back, you got a bunch of Chanel over there. And it's not for gifts. You're going to spread it on yourself. You can get it to the homeless shelter. Every time you get out the bath, you just Chanelling it up. <laughs> in there. Yeah, yeah. Control our thoughts. And I found this yesterday over on Instagram. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. Um, LinkedIn. And there's some saved folks over there, and there's some godly folks over there, and there's some folks that want to help other folks to stay on the same page with God. We want to honor him. We want to do what he said. Uh, this person, I won't call their name, they said, stop the hamster wheel of thoughts. Stop it. You stop that hamster wheel of thoughts. Stop praying for the Holy Ghost. Stop praying for the gift of the Holy Ghost. Stop praying. Because, see, I don't know. They, they, they changed it from, from back in the day. And they call it the Holy Spirit because uh, they don't want to. Let me tell you something. The Bible said Holy Ghost. That's what King James said, and I believe it. And I thank God for giving it to me. It was a gift. And it, it has caused you to have discernment. Some things it would appear that you don't have discernment on because God is not allowing you to do it yet. He wants you to sit back because he wants to show them. Because they're going to make some mistakes. They're going to be like Saul. Yeah. In order for him to have peace, he had to send for David to play that hard. But look what this lady says. Stop the hamster wheel of thoughts. But you know, hamster on the wheel, he just keeps, <laughs> and that's the way your thoughts going in your mind. You can bring this into captivity if you work on it and you choose to. Let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. You want to focus on what Jesus did daily and stick with it. Sometimes we get off course because we get upset about the way people doing people. I'm that way. Oh, you want to make my blood boil mistreat people. I have to pray about that thing. Because I don't like people taking advantage of other people. I don't like that. And it don't have to be children or the elderly. It can be anybody. I don't like it. It's not a good thing. Because I try to put my in other people's place, how would I feel if I was that way? I know we have to discuss uh, homosexuality. We have to discuss all this new stuff that got in place, and we have to give the right answer, the truth to them, and they, they can't handle the truth, so they're trying to make their own truth, which is not the truth. It's just something you made up. But even in that, I don't want to see nobody mistreat nobody because they said they was transgender. They was a he, a thee, a they, or whatever they were. Because, see, in my book, when I see this, if it's they and you only one person, it takes me back to Sybil. Sybil had all them personalities in her, all them spirits. That's what they were. And so, we, and, and if they want to keep their spirits, we have to let them have their spirits. That's on them. You can't hate them. You can't really be against them. 
You can tell them the truth from a sincere heart, but don't tell them trying to hurt them. Don't do that. And don't beat them up and don't kill them. Don't hurt them all up in one place and then shoot them down. I've heard people talk about that. That's not right. And I'm against it. I'm not for it. And I would have to speak out. They are human beings. And God loved them like he loves us. I promise you. God loves the good, the bad, and the ugly. And you have some homosexual people that are better than straight people. And the reason I say better, which nobody's better than the other, but I mean better judgment, better morals, better standards. Some homosexual people, he, she, they, transgender, whatever they got going on now. My boss was one of them people. Now, he had some issues. But he didn't believe in taking from people, stealing from people. He believed in working and earning. And if you deserve more, he gave you more. Some straight people not like that. They'll take their shirt off your back, their shoes off your feet. Let me get them pants you got on or that dress you got on and leave you standing in your underwear and gone and never give you a second thought. So we're all people. But I think things would have been better if people didn't try to just shove it on people, try to shove it down your throat, shove it in your face. Don't do that. But that's the way the devil is. He come to kill, steal, and destroy. So, see, he hoping in the end you'll kill one of these people and destroy them, their families and things. But when you take a loved one, it, 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 it hurts the family. Yeah. So we have to pray for them, love them, and keep it moving. And I tell them the truth only if they ask me. If they don't ask me, I'm not giving them nothing but love and keep going. That's one thing about me. I believe in what I believe in, not like they believe in what they believe in. So look, she says, stop the hammer wheels of thought. This diagram puts our thought and perspective of what we can and can't control. Don't waste your energy and transfer to those concerns as petitions to the Lord. Look, she said, don't waste your energy and transfer those concerns as petitions to the Lord. God kind changing people outcome, past, other actions, people perceptions of me, when growth happens, future, changing people. Put that on the altar. Bring that to God boldly and let that be a petition. Let your petition be known under Almighty God. Walking by faith, believing God's word, rest, bold prayer, taking my thoughts captive, my actions, loving people, what I focus on. Guess what? I'm bringing that to the Lord to strengthen me in these areas. I need, although I'm in control of these things, Lord, I need your strength to control them. I need you to remind me. I'm human, human forget. 
But Father, remind me, just remind me, dear Lord. And we will be all right. How, Barbara, in Jesus' name. <laughs> we will be. Look, let me tell you, God is an amazing God. And if we depend on him for everything, if we trust him, and we have faith in him and have the patience to wait on him. I can't tell you how long I wanted to start cleaning out my office. Last year, he blessed me to clean the closet out. I got under my desk here and organized it, and it looks so nice. I got the, the shred pile and, 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 and other things that's organized. The most recent mail that I may have to need again, I got it in a place. I got trays. I got to go through the trays and organize things and put them in files and put them. That's God. I didn't want to do all that. But that's God. Because if you're going to run an office, run it right. Don't be raggedy. Catch up bottle all on the desk. Mayonnaise y'all on the desk. The food you ate out of right now. We're going to keep it organized, clean the best we can, and we're going on in Jesus. Yeah. So I'm just telling you some things he's done for me. And if he did it for me, he's no respecter of persons. He'll do it for you. Talk to him about it. Also call him the Holy Spirit. Cast me not away from that presence and take not that Holy Spirit from me. All right, but look, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? See, my thing is this too. What some people call the Holy Spirit is not the Holy Spirit. I'm going to leave it at that. Okay, I thought that was another scripture. Yeah. <laughs> Look, what am I do with you? Yeah, it's, it, it's strange. They call it um, queer because it's, it's, it's different. And they then added some stuff that wasn't never there in a way. So it can be creepy, it can be scary to some, and I know men just be like, oh, my real thoroughbred men, they ain't talking about they no girls, they real men, rough, rugged, and weird, they trying to figure that out. I ain't talking about no gay man that's on the DL, you know, the down low, and he creeping. I'm talking about a real thoroughbred man, he ain't going to never do another man, and then he can't even see another man as a woman. Because he liked them girls. <laughs> he likes the females. And some of them have 10, ten women. They ain't going to have another man, but they're going to have them some women. That's just in them. Yeah. And he don't, he don't deal with them long. He got one main one that he loved, and he, de- he think he loved. Because if he loved it, he wouldn't do it like that. But he got the one main one he think he loved, and he'll deal with a few more out there because he loved women. Oh, Solomon spirit. <laughs> but guess what? He's just not going to be bothered with a man. So when he see all of this stuff, this, this, no, man, no. I, I can't do it. He don't want to talk to him. He don't want to look at him. He don't want to be near him. And they say straight men are gay men. 
and straight men like gay men and straight men looking at trans. Let me tell you something. A straight thoroughbred man, because all of them ain't straight and all of them not thoroughbred. They just look the part. But that straight thoroughbred man, he bowing down to this mess, and guess what? He don't have nothing for it. And he won't say nothing to you about it. When you try to coach him, he's like, hey, man, I, I can't talk about that, man. That's wrong from day one. Ain't no need of me talking about it. I, I know what I like, man, and I like them girls, <laughs> big ones. <laughs> I've heard them say that. I'm in the South. I've heard them say that. I've seen them walk down the street with a woman. This girl got to weigh 300 pounds, and if you say something to her, they'll kill you. And he's going to go to work and take care of her because he likes to eat. And he know if he got the food there, she's going to cook it. You know, if he take care of the house notes, the lights, the water, the cable, everything, the phone, the insurance, she ain't going nowhere. She don't even have to come and say, honey, I I need nothing. Because he done gave her the bank card. He done gave her the Everything she needs to go get money to do whatever it is she want to do. And he don't mind taking her out to different social events, spending all around. The big girl. Hey, look at this. Yeah. Yeah. And on the way, he's going to help her lose weight if she mentioned it. If she said, I want to lose some weight, I'm feeling uncomfortable. You're like, okay, now, but I want you to watch yourself, but come on, I'm going to walk with you. Instead of you cooking chicken wings, let's eat a salad with some roasted chicken on top. Yeah, that's the way they do. When they love you now, when they love you. He don't love you. He calling y'all out your name, your big son. So he just, he got no love for you. And that's not a man. That's a boy in a man body because he don't even know how to talk to a woman. Hello, y'all. All right, so we're moving right along. We're going to our, well, let's, let's get this song, and then we're going to our first testimony of the morning. Hallelujah. I love this one.
Hallelujah, hallelujah, Miss Bridget Hurt this morning, H-U-R-T. And that's an old one there that took me way back there. And I thank you so much for sending that one to me. She kind of jazzed it up a little bit, but I love that one and that old one. Yeah, that he sacrificed his life for my liberty. Yeah, God did, Jesus. When I let him sentence him, they come and got him out the garden. Yeah. And he prayed so it was as if drops of blood was coming out like sweat would. But he knew they was coming. He asked the disciples to pray with him. They couldn't hang. And so they came and got him, took him from courtroom to courtroom, punished him, sentenced him, made him carry his own cross up Calvary's hill. When he had to get, they had to get someone else to help him because he was so weak. They done beat him and tortured him and everything. When he got on up there, he didn't grumble. He didn't complain. He let him stretch him out, put the nails in his hand and his feet, hung him up, pierced his side, crowned a thorn on him, gave him gall to drink. He endured all of that. The only thing he said was, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? That's all he said. Gave up the gold for while he was there. There were two thieves. And one of the thieves said, remember me when you get to paradise. He said, this day you'll be remembered. He gave up the ghost and went on. They came and got his body and wrapped him up and put him in the tomb. Three days later, he rose with all power. He went down, conquered hell, and rose with all power. And you know what? I don't know if he pulled some folks out of hell while he was down there that needed to come out. But I know it said that he conquered all. And he rose with all power. And today, there's no higher power. And he did all of this for us. And we don't want to forget. We want to remember him. Help us all, Father, to remember you, to remember what your son did for us. Daily, all day, as often as we can remember, God. And let us give him glory. Hey, Lord Jesus. Hey, thank you. Let us give him honor and praise and worship. Let us do what's pleasing and acceptable unto you. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Thank you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Woo. Thank you, Lord. There's none like him. Yeah. So we go into our first testimony of the morning. This one said, I doubted God. And what ended up happening is that there was like about a year, year and a half where I became really rebellious really rebellious and disrespectful to my mom. Um, I would be in fights constantly, numerous detentions, even suspension. And I know that my mom just didn't know what to do with me, right? She didn't know how to get me out of this rebellious stage in my life. My family would always put Radio Vision Cristiano, this Christian radio station in the New York metro area. It was a 24-7 radio station. They would have a lot of songs, a lot of preachings. And that night, I believe it was every weekend night, they would put on Gigi Avila, this well-known um, evangelist that evangelized like all Latin America. He was very like fire and brimstone type of preacher. Like, if you don't repent, you're going to hell. If you don't repent, you're going to hell. That night, I was like, ah, I do not want to go to hell. If something happens to me tonight, I don't want to end up in hell. I remember going to my room and just falling on my knees and just just surrendering it all. I was born into a broken home. Um, 
a lot of brokenness in my home. Um, my the neighborhood I grew up in was not the prettiest neighborhood, to say the least. Um, shootings were common. Um, addiction was very common. Um, pe- seeing people strung out in front of my building, on the stair- in the staircase of my building, was very common. Um, prostitution, very common. Um, gang violence, very common as well. All of these things was very common in my neighborhood. Um, the neighborhood I grew up in w- was made infamous by a couple couple rappers that come out of, out of that neighborhood and, and a heavyweight champion. So Jay-Z, Biggie Smalls, Mike Tyson, they all come from my neighborhood. And Mike Tyson eventually left my neighborhood to a bordering neighborhood. That's even worse. Um, so that's the type of environment I, I grew up in. I grew up next door to the projects, not in the projects, but next door to the projects in a trap. So a trap, for those of you that don't know what that is, is a building dedicated to the selling and distribution of narcotics. The two biggest narcotics that I was aware of that they sold in my building were crack, crack cocaine, and heroin. And the reason why I knew that is because I would see the crack bottles um, throughout the hallways, Um, the syringes in the garbage can. My father was the super of the building I grew up in. So a lot of times he'd tell me to take out the trash, and I would just see the loads and loads of of syringes to the point where I was always afraid that it would get pricked by by a syringe. I remember even having nightmares a lot of times growing up that that I would be like forced to use drugs. Um and specifically through a through a syringe. Did so, your did your parents ever um as, even your dad being the super, like did he ever warn you about these things or talk to you about these things? About being careful to not get pricked? Yes, mm-hmm. definitely. Because mm-hmm. yeah. I had to take out the, the trash as a good son. You know, your dad gives you chores. So, yeah, he definitely always told me to be careful with that. Um, so that's the environment I really grew up in. By the time I was in kindergarten, at the age of five or so, I ended up getting sexually abused in school. Um, what ended up happening during that time, my kindergarten teacher was very sick. And I believe she died from cancer, if I'm not mistaken. So basically that whole school year, we had substitute teachers throughout the school year. And a lot of times when they wouldn't find enough substitute teachers, if a teacher was out, they would split up those classes into other classes. And that day, I believe it was a fifth or sixth grader. My school went up to the sixth grade, the elementary school I went to. That class was split up and generally was in two in, in groups of two, in two different classrooms. That class of 20, 30 students would be split up throughout the school. Um, my class got this one kid, and that kid ended up sexually abusing me in the restroom, the little kindergarten restroom within the classroom. Um, and whether I realized it or not, that ended up opening doors in my life later on, and, and I'll talk more about that later. Um, when that actually happened, I, I, I was confused. I didn't know really what happened. I kind of like rushed out of the restroom because obviously as a little kid, I was scared. The kid was older than me five, six years older than me, so I didn't know what just happened. But I knew later on in life that that awakened, it, it, it awoke something within me. During that time, my family was a very devout Catholic family. And when I say devout, it was the type of Catholics that would go to church or mass just once a year during Easter. This time, my family decided to go to mass on Easter when they decided to go. For some reason, um, the temple, the, the church was closed. Um, and my mom, or my dad told my mom, why don't we go to that crazy church, that crazy church, the one that your brother goes to? 
la iglesia de los locos, the church of the crazy folks, right? And what he meant by that was a stereotypical Pentecostal church that moved in, in the gifts of the spirit, moves in and um, believed in speaking in tongues and dancing in the spirit, all of these type of types of things. And they decided and ended up going to church to the other side of Brooklyn to go visit my uncle's uncle's church. And that was the beginning of of God starting the work in my family. It didn't happen overnight. I'm not going to lie and say that they went to that one service after skipping mass or missing mass and, and their whole life completely changed. It was a process. It took a couple years. But by the time I was about seven years old, that's when my family decided to be, my parents decided to be loyal members of that, of that church that we went to. Um, or that we started going to. And I started seeing the change in my family's life. It was something beautiful, something wonderful from a family that stereotypical, um, worldly, young family, um, having house parties. My dad had a drinking problem during that stage of his life. My parents weren't married at that point in their life either. So um, a lot of brokenness in our home and other things as well. But at that stage, again, everything started changing. My my parents got married. They, they made it official. They got married. We were the poor kids in the hood, basically. When other kids were wearing J's and, and nice name brand clothing, we were the ones with the Payless shoes or shoot or clothing that they handed us down, gave to us. We were the poor kids in the hood. And we thought we were poor until we came to Jesus and we realized that that we even got poorer, I guess you would say, to a certain extent. What ended up happening is that, like in a lot of families in, in the inner city, if you stay in the same job, a lot of times you get your little pay, um, pay bumps, 25 cents more an hour or whatever it may be, and a lot of people tend to make money under the table, not report everything, right, in order to keep their benefits, their government benefits. Um, my family felt conviction about that, um, and they started reporting everything. And then we lost all of our government benefits. So at that point, when we thought we were poor, we're now even more poor. Um, and I remember there was a point in my life at a really young age that we, we didn't even have – the fridge was empty. There was no car. We didn't have bus fare tokens. It was tokens back then before Metro Cards in New York. We didn't have money for the token to get on the train or the bus to go to a church on the other side of Brooklyn. For a while, we couldn't go to church just because we didn't have a way to get there. The church bus wouldn't go to that that far, at least, um, to pick up members. And I remember one day, just randomly, the pastor of that church at that time was a super anointed man of God, um, Raul Otero, and he ended up bringing a, a caravan, but not a caravan, but basically brought a group of people to bring us groceries. I remember there was big old sacks of grocery, and I believe it was from Costco. And out of nowhere, where people just started bringing us up loads and loads of groceries, um, and it was just such a beautiful thing. Yeah, seeing that God is a God that provides, you know, Jehovah Jireh, and that touches me because it just reminds me of the heart God is giving me for the people that don't have none, they're forgotten. And there's been points in my life that God has put people in my heart and I've brought groceries to their doorstep. I've gone to random cities, um, usually forgotten cities, to bring people groceries because there's people that have gone through the same things as me. And during that same time, um, I was, my family was getting changed. Things were changing in my family's life, but still I hadn't come to the feet of Jesus as of yet. Obviously, I was really young, <laughs> um, but I still didn't 
come to the field of Jesus. I was forced to go to church whenever my family would go to church on Sundays and Friday nights. They had Friday night services, so I would be forced to go to church. Um, and what ended up happening is that there was like about a year, year and a half, where I became really rebellious, really rebellious and disrespectful to my mom. Um, I would be in fights constantly, numerous detentions, even suspension. I'm sure I was to the point of getting kicked out of the school that I went to. Um, and I know that my mom just didn't know what to do with me, right? She didn't know how to get me out of this rebellious stage in my life. And what ended up happening is that I felt like I needed protection from other crews um, in the school I went to, from other crews in the neighborhood I grew up in, and I ended up getting jumped into a crew. And that wasn't the only time I got jumped. I got jumped multiple times after that. Um, I got involved in, in tagging. You don't know what tagging is. is graffiti, and my tag name was Chaos. And recently, I know the Lord revealed to me that, that I had to renounce um, those word curses that I pronounced upon my own life. Um, every time that I would tag chaos on a wall, tag chaos on a, on a bathroom stall or whatever it was, the Lord revealed to me that, he, that, that I was pronouncing a curse over my own life. And I had to renounce that actually fairly recently, um, chaos over my life. And the truth is, truth is that my life was chaotic in that point in my life. Um, I started doing things with females that an 11-year-old shouldn't be doing. Generally, you hear people getting more involved in that type of thing. Um, in their teenage years, I was doing things at the age of 11 years old, feeling up on females, and then also doing other things in the classrooms, in school, in the hallways as I was growing up as, at the age of 11. As well, that same year, at the age of 11 years old, I ended up getting cut in school just because of my rebellion, just because of the things I was involved in. And, and by cut, just to clarify, what exactly do you mean? They cut me in my face in school. They cut me in my face. And that's another testimony in itself because it's almost invisible. Mm. It's the Lord, the Lord only. Because when it happened, I was in a rebellious stage. I thought it was going to be look cool. I thought it was going to look bad, all that type of thing. I remember at that point in my life, there was two big things that really impacted me. Two really, two big things that that shook me up. That shook me up in that point in my life. When I got cut, my mom tells me that the principal called her and said, "You need to get, you need to get the authorities involved. You need to call the cops." And my mom called the cops. The cops showed up to the school. Um, they took the kid down to the precinct, and they ended up showing him the, some of the holding cells, right? Some of the holding cells that they had within the precinct. We had to go down there as well. My mom had to fill out some some paperwork, right? And I remember that at that moment, that kind of like shook me up, that I shouldn't be in that place at that point in my life, 11 years old in a prison because I just had been, been cut in school. That was something that shook me up, shook me up. It was a different point of view. I was in the cutter. I was a cutty, right? But it, it kind of shook me. And the second thing is I remember, I believe it was a Saturday, I was in the living room of the apartment we grew up in, and my mom's bedroom was right next to it. And what ended up happening was that the door was like halfway open. I remember, I remember even the sun coming in through the through the curtains of the window, and I remember seeing my mom just there praying, praying. And I can't remember if I I heard the words coming out of her mouth. I don't believe I did. But something deep down inside of me knew that I knew, that I knew that she was praying for me. I knew that I knew that I knew that she was praying for me. 
and she didn't know what to do with me in that point in my life. She she tried the the the, the, the hard hand, right? She tried to make sure that that we wouldn't hang out in the neighborhood that we we grew up in, and and I rarely even remember hanging out in the neighborhood I grew up in. She would always take us to the other side of Brooklyn to Sunset Park, the, the nicer side of Brooklyn, and still I got involved in things I should not have gotten involved in. But I knew that I knew that she was praying for me, that she was praying to the only person that could change her rebellious son in that stage of his life. And it was just something beautiful. It was just something wonderful. And I know those prayers ended up, made it up to heaven. He just shook me. He resounded to like the deepest parts of my soul, that she cared enough for me. That she would pray for me. And what ended up happening is that the principal of the school, that was the transition stage in my life where I was supposed to go from junior, or from elementary school to junior high. So from 6th to 7th grade. Again, my elementary went up to 6th grade at that point in time. And I was supposed to go to the same zone school as all the people that I hung out with. And my mom was trying to make sure that I didn't hang out with those kids anymore. And the principal said, hey, so you could put him in a disciplinary school, a school for kids that have... Um, disciplinary problems, right? Problematic kids to a certain extent. My mom saw the best in me and she didn't see me. She didn't want to put me in that type of school. So my mom refused that idea. She she rejected that idea. The principal told her, well, there's another option. I could put you down as though you live in a different address. <laughs> Something that technically is not right. Probably ethically not right either. But my mom was at her end, right? And she wanted to do whatever possible to ensure that I didn't go to that school. That school had the cops there constantly as well. But the biggest thing was the group that I was in. She wanted to ensure that I wasn't around them anymore. And to a certain extent, I was still re- really, really respectful. Like, I, I wasn't a kid that, that would just escape from my house, right? And there was one door. I was, maybe I could have escaped from a fire escape or something. But life is a little different in New York. There's not many back doors to run run out of. But that time in my life was was again a very chaotic time and I know that the Lord used my mom more than changing me from schools, making sure that I didn't go to the same school, that I wasn't around those same kids. More than anything else, I know it was the prayers of my mom. I know it was the prayers of my mom. Um so I ended up going to the other school. It wasn't the best school either. Um surrounded by projects. Um Things crazy things happen at school too, but that's a separate thing. Um, at the age of 12, I remember, so not long after, um, at that point in my life, again, my family was different. My family would always put Radio Vision Cristiano, this Christian radio station, in the New York metro area. That's actually headquartered in, in Patterson, New Jersey. They would always have the radio station on. It was a 24/7 radio station. They would have a lot of songs, a lot of preachings, and that night. I believe it was every weekend night they would put on Gigi Avila, this well-known um, evangelist that evangelized like all Latin America. He was very like fire and brimstone type of preacher. Like, if you don't repent, you're going to hell. If you don't repent, you're going to hell. And especially nowadays, a lot of people speak against that type of preaching and like you're not supposed to scare people into into salvation, basically. But it worked for me. And that night. That night, I was like, ah, I do not want to go to hell. If something happens to me tonight, I don't want to end up in hell. And, yeah, that's how I came to Jesus. I, I remember going to my room and just falling on my knees and just just surrendering it all to Jesus Um, at the age of 12 years old, where a lot of kids were still playing with little Nerf guns and, and playing with other little toys. I was ready 
<laughs> the year before involved in things that a 11-year-old shouldn't be involved in. Um, I've never liked guns because of the environment I grew up in, even toy guns. Um, but yeah, God just completely changed me. I I began studying the word, just digging into the word deeply. I remember praying and fasting. I would be the 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 teenage kid in church with the 50-something year olds, the 80-something year olds for the old days Sunday fast. I would be that that one kid in church with the 50-something year olds. I learned to pray from my mom, but also from this 80-something year old in our church. I remember that that the toes of his shoes would wear out before the soles of his shoes because that's how much time he'd spend in prayer. I just became madly in love with Jesus. In in Jeremiah 20, it says that, I like the way it says in Spanish, me seduciste, y pudiste más que yo. In English, you would translate that as like, you seduced me. But if you read it in NIV, I believe it says that you persuaded me. <laughs> but I like the word seduce because it's like more intimate. Um, and that's literally what the Lord did. It's like throughout my life, I won't say I was perfect from there on. I made mistakes. I, I went to places I shouldn't have gone to. I, I went to clubs. I went to different things just to kind of like try it. But the Lord would always persuade me. He would always seduce me and pull me back in. And it was just a, a beautiful and wonderful thing that the Lord had done. And and David, how if, if you could just kind of bring to a uh, bring us into that moment a little bit of how would you feel God seducing you, persuading you, pulling you in? I remember one time I was in, in Indiana, literally, and we were going to like this little party at a school. I was an intern at that time in my life, and as was I was walking from the car out, the car that took us there, into the party to to, to the little area where they were partying, I remember the Holy Spirit. You're not supposed to be here. You're not supposed to be here. Where are you going? And I remember just fumbling over my own feet and I fell just walking <laughs> to the party. And I knew it was the Holy Spirit convicting me. And anytime I would go to places like that, there would always be temptation with, with women. I remember going to that party, me being in the corner trying to be a good Christian in a party, and girls coming to me. Me getting temptation, knowing that I shouldn't be there in the first place. But and then the Lord or the enemy, not really the Lord, the enemy trying to just put something on my lap, basically. So I knew every time I would go to one of those places, I knew that I shouldn't have been there. I shouldn't have been there. So the Lord would always be seducing me, pulling me in. <laughs> At the age of 13, I remember going to a Friday night service. They had Friday night services at the church I went to. I remember going up for the altar call, and the Lord used this man in our church to give me a word. It was a private word. It wasn't a big um, public word like they do a lot of times in churches and they do it from the mic and all that. Um, it wasn't that type of word. It was a private word to my ear. And he was like, the Lord wants to use you. The Lord wants to use you now. And that's all I remember. And the word may have been that simple. The Lord wants to use you and the Lord wants to use you now. I remember going back to my pew because it was pews back then, doubting every word that came out of that man's mouth, not knowing that the Lord was using that man. Doubting every word in my mind, thinking, how can the Lord use me? I'm from the wrong side of the tracks. I'm too young. I don't even technically, I feel like I don't belong here in this church. I remember five, at most ten minutes later, the Lord used the pastor's wife, Jackie Otero. And I remember, she's one of the reasons why I fell in love with preaching. She used to be such a fiery, passionate preacher, I remember. 
And she wasn't part of that first word again. It was a private word, that first word. She calls me out, tells me to go to the altar. Again, it was another private word. She says, you doubt that the Lord could use you. I was like, whoa. Oh, my gosh. I was just so amazed. I was like, what? Like, I didn't pronounce a word. I didn't mumble a word. It was all thoughts that had run in my mind just a couple minutes ago. And she read my mind like it was a letter. And I had been marked by God and Jesus, right? I accepted Jesus in my life when I was 12. And that was a marking and a seal, you know? But in that moment, that was like the marking and the seal of the Holy Spirit. He just marked me. Yeah, now in, in the era that we live in, there's so much debate about <laughs> gifts of the Spirit, um, deliverance, whether deliverance is for the believer or not. I remember that moment in my life, thinking of so many things that I had gone through, hearing things in the hallway where I grew up in, knowing that I would hear demons in the in the building I would grow up in, that I grew up in. Remember seeing a, a man that they called Culebra. People have nicknames in the hood. Um, him taking out his tongue and his tongue literally looking like a snake and a dog. There used to be a lot of straight dogs back in New York, back in those days. That dog taking out his tongue as well. And looking like the, the tongue of a snake. I remember that that moment in my life just kind of confirmed that everything that I had lived, all the demonic attacks, that the spiritual world was real. And that above everything else, the Holy Spirit and Jesus had overcome the world, had overcome all darkness. And the way that Jesus, the way that God had used this woman through the Holy Spirit to read my thoughts just blew my mind. Wow. And it made me fall even more in love with Jesus, if that's even possible. I just fell more in love with Jesus, and that that was kind of like the beginning and the stamp, I would say, of the Holy Spirit for me for my future years, where, where I would start preaching in school, where, where I would be the, the one Christian kid that would bring his big <laughs> New King James Bible to school to prove, hey, this is what the Word says about that. This is what the Word says about this. <laughs> so I, I remember that was like that moment of that stamp of approval, that 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 marking that the Holy Spirit um, put on my life when he when he used that woman, the, the pastor's wife, to give me a word of knowledge. It, it was just remarkable. Even to this day, like it, it feels like it was yesterday that happened. That I was 13 years old. So um yeah that that leads me into my high school years um I remember then um in New York they have something called the youth employment program where they provide um youth um employment during the summertime starting at the age of 14 so it was either my first or second job I was 14 or 15 I was working at at the criminal court in Brooklyn downtown Brooklyn and I I, I was in charge of um doing the arraignment paperwork for people as they when before the judge, and in that time was a manual process. Now I'm sure it's all by computer, but I would like put stickers on paper and get all the paperwork ready, and um, I would get to see briefly like some cases. And I remember one case came across my desk, and the name looked oddly familiar, oddly familiar. And the name it was the name of that kid that had cut me a couple years earlier. And I remember the the Holy Spirit just came upon me and just showed me that that could have been me. That, yes, started really young. It could have been something simple to some, right, compared to other things that were going on in my neighborhood. But it looked like he had continued going down the wrong path. And the Lord had come to my life and had changed my life completely. I was doing the arraignment paperwork at that court. 
And and I remember feeling so thankful to the Lord. Feeling so thankful that he had rescued me. That he had rescued me. Um, and again, high school years were wonderful. I, I was the, the preacher kid in school. I was the kid that that didn't necessarily fit in, but everyone knew because I was the guy that was different. I was the guy that would preach the word. And I remember at the, during my senior year, I was 17. At that point in my life, we had moved from the hood, and God <laughs> moved us to the neighborhood I dreamed of living in. I literally remember as a kid dreaming of living in that side of Brooklyn, Sunset Park, Brooklyn. Um, and the Lord made it even better. The neighborhood next to Sunset Park called Bay Ridge, we moved to Bay Ridge. Um, and Bay Ridge, some people don't even consider part of Brooklyn. It's that nice. It's that nice. And God moved us to that side of Brooklyn the, the summer before my senior year. And I remember that senior that senior year, I was always a very physical defender um, playing basketball. We were playing basketball in gym. And I was locking this guy down. Like, he couldn't score on me. He couldn't score on me. And, and, and I took pride in being able to lock someone down. Um, and he got offended. He didn't like it um, to the point where he, he snuffed me. Snuff is a very New York term. Generally, like a way to punk someone with your fist, you kind of like do, push their face. But th- in this case, he did it with an open hand and he pushed my face. And I remember that really got me mad, right? It got me mad, and and I grabbed him and I shook him up. And we we're about to get into a fight. They broke us up, and almost immediately, a, a friend that I had back in those days came to me and he said, "Hey, aren't you a Christian? And you were gonna fight?" Aren't you a Christian? And I remember my heart like sunk to my stomach because I felt like I didn't represent Jesus in that moment in time. Um, obviously, I'm human too, right? We get angry, but I felt like I could have managed that a little bit better. So, and then the gym, the, the play time or play period of the gym period ended, and um, we went down to the locker rooms. Generally, the locker rooms had security to ensure um, kids didn't do anything stupid. In that moment in time, there was no no security for some reason that day. Kid came looking for me, and fight broke out. Fight broke out, and I knew in that moment in time that I had to represent Jesus. The the Holy Spirit let me know that I couldn't fight back. And I'm not gonna lie, I did throw one one punch, and I felt conviction for that. Um, but what I did was put myself in my best defensive position and just let the guy pound on me until he got tired. He literally kept pounding on me, pounding on me, pounding on me until he got tired of pounding on me. And what ended up happening a week, two weeks later, as as I was entering the school, about to go through the metal detectors to get into the school, guess who was there by the metal detectors, just outside the metal detectors in crutches, was that kid that I had gotten into a fight with. And again, the Holy Spirit came upon me and he let me know, see, I fight for that. I defend you better than you could ever defend yourself. And he had, I think, fractured his ankle or broke his ankle, something. But he was in crutches. And the Holy Spirit let me know, even though that was a really humbling moment where I had to let this guy beat me up, literally. Jesus got beat up for us, but that's another story, right? So at that moment, I knew that I had to represent Jesus, and the Lord let me know that he was the one that fights my battles. And from there, I ended up... Going to college, typical story. Now I've been in Jesus. I I ended up moving around quite a bit. Thanks and glory to honor to God and or, and honor to God. Um, he has taken me to places that I never thought I would go. Um, I've been able to go and evangelize in places that I never thought I would be able to go and evangelize. Um, 
I married a beautiful woman. Um, I have two beautiful and wonderful kids. She has the heart for, for the soul. She has a heart for the forgotten, just like I do. Some people are, don't, are not daring enough to go into the hood and say, I will never go back to the hood. But there's a lot of forgotten people in the hood. And, and that's something that the Lord has put not just in my heart, but my wife's heart. She comes from a little bit different background, but she more of a suburban background. But she also has also showed me that even in the suburbs, there's a lot of brokenness. Um, so the Lord has brought us together. I won't say that it's been perfect. I won't say that things didn't go wrong because it was very rocky. It's been very rocky in the early stages of our marriage. God has mended a lot of things, corrected a lot of things, brought us back together. Um, but that's a testimony for itself. And God, all I could say is that God has been good in a nutshell. Now I, I work on a project that's going to take us back to the moon. As an engineer, we are designing this. Um, who would have thought a kid from the from the hood would be working on such a project? I've honestly even been scared of talking about these type of things because I don't want people to know at my work about my background. But God has just been more than good. More than good. Wow. David, you, uh, you you spoke about your parents um, at, at the beginning of your testimony. How how is your relationship um, with them today? So my relationship is really really good with my with my family right now. Um, God had to mend a lot of things, especially between me and my dad. There was a stage in my life where I, I held a lot of resentment against my father um, for family secrets for for things that I found out right before I originally left New York. But God definitely had bended it. Um, in that stage of my life, I remember uncover, uncovering a secret where my dad was um, was being unfaithful, right, to my mom. And I remember carrying that burden, that secret upon my shoulders as I originally left New York for some internships that I did during college. It was very hard, to say the least. It, it was a burden that I felt like I shouldn't have, shouldn't have to carry. Right? I felt like if I would have revealed that secret, that I could could have destroyed my family. And I remember when I told my mom, my mother said that she knew. She knew. right? And then she told me that I had to confront my dad. Before I even told my mom, I remember there was a couple of days where I, I would just go to my room and, and cry, grunt, as the Word of God says, right? that God understands, or even our grunts. Um, but told my mom. My mom told me to confront my dad, confronted my dad. I remember having such feelings of bitterness, hate, hurt, this mixed bag of emotions against my dad um, to the point when I confronted him. I was working at the same factory as him during that time, um, during my college days. remember clocking out, sped off in his um, 83 Corolla. I love that little Corolla. Um, Then about two blocks up, I just felt like I had to come back came back, uh, went back into the factory, confronted him. remember even seeing a weapon, like this thing that could have been used as a weapon, and thoughts came to my head of using that to hurt my dad. I rebuked that in the name of Jesus. Um, those thoughts definitely were not from God, but it was a really painful and hurtful time in my life. Then I, I went off to Indiana a couple months later. That was literally the summer before I started my internship in September of that same year. So it was just a couple months from each other. I remember being in Indiana and being in my little apartment, and I remember watching Fireproof. It's a powerful movie about um, 
about God healing a marriage, right? But not only was he healing a marriage, but he was also healing a relationship between a, a, a mother and a son. And this son had this resentment against his mother, and I, I related to that. I, I, I knew what that felt like. And I remember I, I even paused the movie because it brought such conviction to my life that, that I had to call my dad. I had to call my dad. I called my dad. I was like, hey, dad, I'm sorry. I had all these feelings against you. I had all this resentment against you. Um, I just, just sorry. And um, he asked me for forgiveness. And that, that's where God started to mend the relationship between my dad and me. Because the honest truth, my dad was my hero, right? I knew my dad before Christ and, and how he was before Christ. But, but after Christ, he was a totally different man. He worked normally 60 hours a week. And after getting off of work, he was the super of the building. So his super, being a super wasn't his primary job. That was his secondary job. And he would still make sure that the building was standing correctly. He would patch up the hole in the living room floor after a crackhead went through the living room floor to, to, to rob us. He, he, he did it all. Electrical, plumbing. He knew mechanical work. He, he, he just did it all. And I just wanted to be like my dad. Like, how do you know how to do so much? Mm -hmm. And that kind of tainted, that moment in my life, tainted that image that I had of my dad, right? He was, again, my Superman. And I remember... I remember even my vows. I remember when I got married with my wife, beautiful day. I spoke a little bit about my family in, during my, my vows. And I was like, to the... This I remember saying something like, this kid that comes from the hood, from the same neighborhood as Busta Rhymes and Biggie and, and Jay-Z, um, and I love my dad, who used to be and still is my superhero. And I, I know maybe to a lot of people that didn't know my story, it, it didn't mean nothing to them, right? But for me, like, it meant the world. My dad was there. Um, my dad and my mom were still together. Um, that secret that I had to reveal didn't destroy my family. It didn't destroy my family. Instead, I believe it made my family stronger. It was a rough period. Um, and in, in Spanish, there's this show that says, Hasta la mejores familias, even in the best families, right? Jesus had transformed our lives, but that there was that rough patch, that, that secret, that skeleton in the closet, like they say, that had to be revealed in order for for the brokenness to be healed. Yeah. And God healed me, healed the relationship with my dad. Now to this day, when I need to learn, need to fix something in my house, something electrical, something in the plumbing, something goes wrong in my car, I, I'm sure I probably annoy him sometimes. <laughs> Because I contact him about all these things, but I have somebody I could go to um, and ask him about pretty much anything, and he just knows how to do it all. He's, he's still my superhero. Uh, David, you experienced sexual abuse, sexual abuse at an early age. How did God deal with that in your life after? How was he able to um, heal you? from that hurt or from that moment that you experienced as a child? 
I would say that was uh, that was a point in my life that I really suppressed to the point that I remember mentioning it to my mom, but I must have mentioned it so briefly that she even had forgotten. Because I know a few years ago I mentioned it to my mom again, and she was like, kind of like surprised about it. I was like, "But mom, I told you," and she was like, "I'll find the kid. Even to this day, I'll find them and this and that." But really, it was something that kind of like I pushed into the background. And it was, I know it was something that triggered some of the things that I was doing with females at the age of 10, 11 years old to the point that I knew the Lord had to heal me from it when I converted. I remember when I converted not long after going to my mother's room and just bawling, just crying like, Mom, I did this, I did that. Um, I did this to a female, even though everything was consensual and she was actually a little older than me, like a year older than me. I felt conviction from the Holy Spirit because an 11, 12-year-old shouldn't be doing those types of things. And I remember going, it was phone books back then, going to my phone book, trying to find her number, search for her number, call it up. She was not at that number anymore. She had, she had moved, called a couple other people, trying to find her to ask her for forgiveness. I felt that convicted from some of the sexual things I had done, even with her, that I felt like I had to ask her for forgiveness. I never found her, um, but I know that through that process, the Lord was healing me. Was Lord was healing me from the sexual abuse, healing me from some of the se- very sexual things that I did with females at at that really really young age. Yeah. Could you say that that's something that He's still even working out inside of you, as far as because uh, a lot of the time, even child and child abuse. You know, there's not a space for us to talk about it so much. Mm-hmm. Have you gotten that space to, to really even process that with the Lord? Is that something that you're still kind of processing and, and allowing him to kind of take you deep in? Yeah, I would say as part of even going through this testimony process and and, and um, really going over my life and speaking it over with my wife even, I believe the Lord has gone, has put me through some levels of inner healing, mm-hmm. even using my wife to help me go through this inner healing process. I do believe that even through this process, God has been healing me from from those scars, from those pains, yeah, from those hurtful moments. Yeah. David, who is Jesus to you? He's my rescuer. He's the one that found that left the 99 to found that to find that one lost sheep. That was me. I am that one lost sheep. He found me just in time. So he's my rescuer. David, for anybody who's watching your testimony right now, and it's just identifying with uh, your past and everything that you've been through, what's a word of encouragement that you can give to those who are watching, um, who maybe grew up wanting the Lord and, and even grew up having a relationship with God and maybe feel discouraged um, because they feel like they're left out or, you know, they're the weird kids or, you know, they're not relating with people around them, kind of like how you were when you were a child, right? To those people who are, are seeking this relationship with God and feel left out, what is an encouragement that you can give to those who are watching right now? My, what I could tell you is that you are not forgotten. A lot of times the Lord puts us through a dark period to mold us. A lot of times we go through this stage of darkness because he needs to isolate us. He needs to separate us in order to break off that that is not good. In in the book of Jeremiah, it talks about that 
that Jeremiah goes down to the house of the of the potter and that he sees the scene he, and he sees the potter at the wheel and the word of God says that that the potter takes off pieces of clay and if you see the translation of it um the pieces of clay that are coming off they were coming off because they weren't good they were they were wasteful they were they didn't belong there and a lot of times we feel like we're going through brokenness. We are going through brokenness. We feel like we're going through pain because we are going through pain. And we don't understand that the potter is at the wheel taking things away from us, breaking us. Sometimes he has to break the whole the whole um, vase as a whole and just start all over again. And the truth is hurtful. The truth is it's painful. But it's all ultimately for your good. It's all ultimately for the, for the glory of God. You are not alone. You are not forgotten. Those are lies of the enemy. If the Lord makes you think like like sometimes people that, that go through this abandonment or, or feel like the outcast, they become introverted or they become the quiet one. When the Lord, in many cases, never intended you to be introverted, never intended you to be quiet, and the enemy is using this to keep you shut, to stop the prophetic voice <laughs> from coming out. Mm -hmm. And there's so many introverts out there, I believe even watching this video, that were never called to be introverted. That God never intended you to be quiet, but just because of the struggles and things you've gone through in life, that has shut your mouth. And the spirit of Jezebel, <laughs> spirit of Jezebel is still roaming around this world, trying to shut up and trying to kill prophets. So if you are a person that's introverted, I say there's there's a good chance that that there's a prophet in you. There's a prophet in you. Hmm. David, any last words for the people who are watching your testimony right now? My last words, despite the things I had gone through, I could proudly say. I made it to the altar as a version. Not many people talk about this. I don't talk about it much either, because this world tells you that sometimes that you're less of a man if you go, if you know, if you're a virgin, right? I did experiment with certain things, like I said, really young at the age of 11. But sex, that was until the day that I went into my honeymoon <laughs> with my beautiful wife. So I could probably say. This day with my head held up high, that I went to that stage, I went up to that altar, despite rumors, some people saying that, that we were doing things, I could say, proudly say that we made it to the altar, that I made it to the altar as a virgin. And if there's anyone out there struggling with sexual sin, struggling like, should I just give in? Should I just go out with this girl? Should I just hook up with this girl? Struggling with either doing that or keeping yourself pure before the eyes of the Lord, keep yourself pure. It's worth it. Even if that's the last thing that the world hasn't touched in your life, like me, keep yourself pure because the Lord's going to honor it. The Lord's going to honor it. Within this guy in college, he was a wholesome guy, kind of like a golden boy. I fell for him, and he wasn't interested in that way. That's when it all just crumbled. I was like, he's like the best guy I've ever met, and he didn't want me. I come home that night, and I just weep. 
like just that ugly weeping, that weeping where you don't have energy to do anything else. And I go to God because he's my genie. And so I go to God and I say, God, please never let me fall in love with another person unless it's who you have for me. I'm done. And I think that was the first time I ever gave anyone willingly control. I'd been trying to finesse my way, manipulate my way, change myself to get what I wanted. And in that moment, something was impressed on me. This thought that comes from not me. That just said, you treat me like a genie and I can be so much more than that. So my family has a lot of, I'll say, supernatural touch points going back generations. So we've got We've got witchery, we've got astrology, we've got spirits, we've got ghosts, we've got all these kind of things. And I grew up hearing these stories and they intrigued me, they entertained me, and then they scared me. But I guess the blessing in disguise looking back is I knew the spiritual was real. So I never doubted it because I knew my family had dabbled or at least been encountering things they couldn't explain for generations. And so as a kid growing up, you know, our house had some little baby Bibles in it and stuff. My dad, Catholic, my mom, you know, Protestant, neither going to church because they couldn't agree. Mm. We did have, you know, prayer, but I treated God like a genie. You know, I didn't really know how to address him. I didn't understand Jesus's role in anything. I had never even thought about what the Holy Spirit was, meant anything. I knew there was a God up there. There was a demon down at the bottom that had lost some battle and was making our lives terrible. And I loved all the horror of it, all the thrill of it. For some reason, even though I knew he was the losing side, I loved watching scary movies. I loved hearing about scary movies ever since I was little. And they would freak me out, but I took this thrill in watching them so that next time I would know what to expect. And so that was kind of my first thing I can look back and realize it was all about control for me. Mm. It was all about wanting to control my reaction and stay cool, calm, collected, put together, perceived as having it together and figured out. And this is when I'm like a little kid. And on the other hand, you know, I'm loving all of this stuff. And on the other hand, I have this older than my years depression and loneliness that I couldn't explain. I had two parents that loved me. I had, growing up, I had friends that cared and I couldn't explain the loneliness and the depression away. I'm just going deeper and deeper into horror movies. It's kind of like you get your fix. That's not scary anymore. I need something scarier on one side. And on the other side, I'm convinced that having the right guy will one day fix my loneliness because you know, you're depressed, and so as a kid, you escape into TV, you escape into video games, you escape into books. And so I just dove into fantasies where the girl is secretly a part of something bigger. And that's what I wanted. I wanted to be part of something bigger. And I wanted to be on the winning team, but I didn't know how. And I didn't know, it seemed like the world was pretty mundane and basic, and I didn't have access to the things and the stories I grew up hearing, nor anything on the other side that wasn't scary. I just had my everyday life where I was just depressed as, you know, a single-digit kid. 
I had anxiety from all the control and the pride, the wanting to please people, the wanting to prove my worth. I was convinced that to get that great guy, I had to be great, so I had to have everything together. And I'm saying these things as like a nine-year-old, as a 10-year-old. It doesn't make any sense looking back, like what kind of mind did I have as a kid? But I just was obsessed with getting rid of these feelings and escaping from them. So, you know, I'm a 10-year-old kid, at two, I had developed something called trichotillomania, and so it's a compulsive hair pulling that comes with anxiety. I consider it a blessing that it only ever affected my eyebrows. It was so bad that like, I pretty much didn't have them. And so I would go to school and get made fun of sometimes. Sometimes I would do the making fun of another kid just so I could have a break from being made fun of. And I still have other friends, but that wasn't good enough because everyone didn't like me. As I got older, now I'm starting to notice boys. Boys are starting to notice you. But at the same time, none of the guys I liked were ever noticing me. You know, it's the dudes that I didn't notice that noticed me. The dudes I noticed didn't notice me. And so again and again, let down, heartbreak, rejection, frustration, feeling like I'm not good enough yet. If none of the guys I like like me, then I am not good enough yet. I remember back then I would be every once in a while pr like praying to God like a genie, like, please, like, make them like me. And it never worked. And I just kept feeling like, what am I doing wrong? Why am I not good enough? I have friends. I, my parents like me. Like, what, what, what am I doing wrong? When I was 12, my parents split up. So at that point, I still got to see my dad almost every day, but I lived with my mom. And at the time, I didn't realize that was impacting me, but it just reinforced the need to have a relationship that was now better than my parents tenfold. It had to be better than my parents' relationship was. It had to be stronger. I had to have it more together. I had to be better than the, the flaws I saw in myself from my parents. And the pressure just kept mounting. So you go through high school and you start, you know, trying to act like even more. Nothing's together in high school. You know, you're changing. You don't know what you're talking about. You're trying to impress people. You're trying to figure out who you actually are. You're trying to get good grades. You're trying to balance it all. I had nothing figured out, but I was still trying to pretend that I did. And then in the background, oh, yeah, I'm addicted to pornography since I've been 10. You know, just hiding it, pretending it's not there, and still trying to, you know, navigate that big ball of shame that I have that I, I can't seem to escape. And at the same time, I'm kind of justifying it like, well, you know, I have just enough of this background in Bible. To, and my parents raised me, you know, virginity is valuable. You know, it's a gift. And you don't want to just let anybody, you know, mess around with you. So I'm like, well, hey, look, this, this isn't hurting anybody. And it's going, to keep, it's going to curb my appetite until I find that one amazing guy that's going to solve everything. So, again, control. I'm trying to control my own passion by doing something and exploiting the people on the screen, right, and, and feeling guilty about it every single time as soon as, you know, the story's over, as soon as the, the, the video stops, you know, feeling that shame, that guilt, that isolation, like I'm, I'm a freak. Who else does this? I go through high school. I graduate high school. I get into college. Cool check mark. Another thing that makes you have it all together. Now I'm going to be around other people that have it all together. And this whole time I didn't realize that, I really had nothing together. I was really messed up. So 
so thank God that nobody was accepting my offer of relationship because it wouldn't have lasted anyway. It would have been a huge waste of time, but instead I just was focused on the rejection. So I go to college and in college, still more rejection, except now it's even more chaotic because now there's tens of thousands of people on campus and the emotions are heightened because everybody is solo, you know, and so everybody is like trying to figure out who they are and everything and I'm starting to, you know, I guess pump up my resume so I have it more together. And at the same time, I'm looking at all that media that I've been going to to escape my depression and I'm realizing this isn't helping anything. Like all this media I'm watching, like all these things, these movies, these books, they're all just getting darker and darker. The music videos are getting weirder and weirder. Like what, what's going on? Why is the world getting worse? I thought we're supposed to be getting better. I, I thought we were, you know, all this education that we all have, you know, we're supposed to be valuing women. Why are women being more degraded? We're supposed to care about people. Why are we tearing each other down? Why is everything depressing? Why are all the good values, that, the, the few things that I was trying to get with this magical relationship? Why are those things being mocked and laughed at in movies? Why is everything that I've wanted being torn down and mocked by the thing I go to for escape? So I started realizing how much the occult, the spiritual world I'd heard as a kid about, how much it was infiltrating things, how much people were falling in love with it and using that as inspiration for the things that I was trying to consume. And it made me feel scared. It made me feel less in control than ever because now it wasn't just I need to pull myself up by my bootstraps and be a, a, a great wifey material. Now the world's falling apart because people are starting to believe in the demons that I've been trying to prove I was braver than my whole life. So I started trying to take more control. You know, every, like when I look back, there's just so many times where I'm trying, I see a big problem, so I quickly scramble to figure out how I can get control. And so I remember, I started looking for fun at the horoscopes in the school newspaper, and I realized they kind of would align in some way with my day. Now, of course, they're so generic that they would. You could read into them. But it made me go and get deeper into astrology. Like, what's my, what's my sun position, my star sign? What's, what planets are in alignment? You know, all of the stuff that I used to dive into. And I started, like, looking at who I was, what it said I was what all these different horoscopes and zodiacs from around the world said I was, all these personality tests. And then I started wanting to, to analyze other people because I was like, this is how I'm going to improve. This is how I can find someone compatible with me. Like I was so neurotic. I was so trapped in my own mind because of how desperate I wanted to fix myself. I saw what, that I was so messed up and I was playing this game with everyone like, no, I have it all together. You know, I'm, don't worry, you guys can come to me, you can confide in me, I have it all together, I've got great advice, but I couldn't follow any of it myself. I started going deeper and deeper into astrology. I spent hundreds of dollars in astrology books. And at the same time, I'm scared of the occult, so I start, you know, looking into like protective crystals and stuff like that. You know, this is all starting to come to a head. And then yet another relationship, because some of them would start up, but they would fail really quickly or really messy, or I'd realize that I have egg on my face because they were just playing me or, you know, whatever. So one of those big ones comes around. And I feel so bitter. It's like that was the straw. Like I felt so bitter and ashamed and mad. I was so resentful at men because every time I liked one, if he did pursue me back, he wanted my body. He didn't actually want me. And I felt like this is all they want. 
This is all they want, and they feel great about it. They can walk away feeling so empowered, and I feel like a fool. And so at the beginning of my senior year in college, I decide that I'm going to make a list. And so I make a list because, you know, I'm in control of lists, right? And I write down all the guys I thought were cute that maybe if I hung out enough with them, I'd end up liking. And instead of doing that, I decided to hook up with them. Now, of course, I'm still the girl who watches porn, so I don't have sex. So I don't go all the way, but I mess around enough, and then I just walk away. Maybe they think they're going to get more. Maybe they think, maybe they secretly like me, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end up with them. But nope, I'm just going to walk away. I'm doing to them, and they, those specific guys, hadn't done that to me. But I'm treating them like I felt I'd been treated by all the guys before them. You know, at the end of this, I got every single one. And that, I think, made me feel the most shame, the most embarrassment. Because when I just offered up my body, I could get every guy that I liked. But if, you know, no matter how great I thought he was, how upstanding, I could just do it. But before, when I had been trying to actually get to know them and treat them like a human being, none of them would have it. So I think that that just, like, that broke me even more. I was on this cuspice of, like, I'm not going to find that guy, am I? Guys are all the same. Like, how am I ever going to find him if that, like, I just confirmed a pattern with, like, eight people in the span of three weeks. I felt like a superstar on one, and I was like, wow, well, at least I'm pretty because they definitely, you know, are excited about this. But then joke's on me at the end of these three weeks because then I walk away with herpes. And now I'm like, oh, so now I'm that loser virgin who all I have to offer is herpes? That's the most embarrassing thing ever. That's the most humiliating, pathetic story ever. And so I'm sitting there at the beginning of my senior year where you're supposed to be on top of the world, feeling like, cool, I'm about to check all the boxes, get a cool job, you know, all this. And I'm just feeling like an idiot. You sit there with the egg on your face again, and you're like, I just can't get it right. I can't get anything right. I have done all the check boxes, and yet I'm still here. And I've done all the astrology to find, you know, to learn more about my, like, and I'm still here. This, this, this loser who did this to herself. It wasn't even that, like, a guy pursued me. It's that I, when I finally decided to act that way, I get it. Cut scene, you know, one of my best friends, one of my best guy friends at the time, he decides to uh, take me to his teacher. He has a teacher that's training him on how to harness his energy. And so he takes me to a witch's house. And she looks like any lady you'd see walking around the grocery store. You would never know, right? And I don't really know what I'm walking in at the time. You know, I go into her house, and I'm already feeling like this shame, right? I'm already feeling low, like I'm out of control. And here comes a witch who's opening her house up to me, welcoming me in, and offering to give me all this power. Now, whatever it is, like whatever, you know, she actually knows how to do whatever, I never really got into it because I was only there for one night. But while I was there, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, I know that spirits are real. I know demons are real. I know there's a God up there that, like, can, like, smack them around. But this lady is not a witch. She's just, like, an everyday crazy lady. She's kooky. Why are you even wasting your time with her? And then she's walking me around, you know, stand in your power, power spot in the room and all this, all this stuff. And I'm just humoring her because I'm like, I really just want to go. This is the most awkward thing. I don't want to laugh at her. And then finally she sits me down on the couch and she 
says, fight me. And I think we're about to like go, like she's going to try and hit me or something. She just puts her hand against my chest. And I'm, in my head, I'm just like, what is this woman? Like, she's crazy. And then all of a sudden, she's like, go. And all of a sudden, there's this heat. Court, like, I feel heat radiating through my chest. My heart's racing faster. Like, I had just been terrified or run three miles. And I have no idea what to do. And all that comes to me is that, like, Stephen King movie about all those little kids that can read minds, like little alien kids. And so I'm just imagining a brick wall in my head because I'm like, I don't know what to do. This is real, and I don't, I'm an idiot again, having no idea how to do this. But I have to, again, pridefully make it look like I'm cool and calm and act like I do know, but I have no idea what I'm doing. And she keeps yelling at me, fight me, keep me out, keep me out. And I'm clearly not. And I'm so scared, and all I say in my head is just, like, help me. And it's like a door shuts and she looks and she kind of like comes back and the heat goes away and my heart calms back down. And I have no idea what I did, did nothing. Right. I couldn't claim responsibility for that at all. And she is, I realize she's kind of like me. She wants to look like she's in control and she's like, good job. I can work with you. She quickly turns the tables to, to regain control by offering me control, offering me what she has. I kind of just laugh her off because I just want to get out of there. And I say, hey, I really got to go. I got class in the morning, got work in the morning. I got to go. Do you need a ride home? My friend didn't. He said she would drive him. And I left. Now I feel like this loser. You know, I go home for break and breaks are, you know, several weeks long. And I have this dream really inappropriate dream, wasn't enjoyable, but it was very inappropriate. And when I woke up, I was groggy and the bed was moving back and forth. These are the parts of my story that I used to only tell a few people because it's intimate, it's invasive, it's embarrassing, but these are kind of things that make people feel alone. And so that's why you share them, right? Um, that's why I, I just, feel like it has to come out eventually because I don't want people to feel alone like I did in that moment. I, I had nothing to make sense of it. It was almost like you go about the rest of your day like time to make breakfast because you have no idea what the heck it was, but in the back of your mind, you're like, that's not normal, that's not right, that's not okay, I don't know what happened to me. But something was there, my bed was moving, and I was awake enough so that like I got up and the bed was still moving and I jumped out of it and I was whimpering and then it was done. And so finally I had my own ghost story to tell, but yet I had no explanation and I had no way out. And I just chalked it up to my life's crazy. I just went back to college. And then at college, and this, is the bi this was the big one, there was a guy, because I was starting to learn, the like this God up there, he's the answer, but that's a lot of work and I'm not ready for work. So I was starting to think about that got up there. And, and, he, and where did that come from? I think because growing up, sometimes I would pray for things, treating him like a genie, but those miraculous prayers would be answered. And I wasn't saying them out loud. And it was almost like a mercy, like I am here. And, you know, I had parents that, you know, that raise them up in the way they should go. Like, I did have some Bibles. I did have some, you know, I knew about Jonah and the whale. Well, I knew the story. I didn't have any idea about the meaning. But 
Jonah and the whale. God can put a man in a whale. Uh, Noah, God can put a man in a boat. You know, um, Jesus, God can put a guy on a cross. But I didn't get it. But I, had, I knew that God was real. And the more I was diving into learning about the thing I was scared of, right, the occult, when I was looking about crystals and all this stuff and what people believe, every other deity was allowed at the party except Jesus. And Jesus belonged to God. And my, you know, I was like, Jesus and this Bible God, they go together. You know, that's his son. And I still didn't know what that meant, but I was like, that's the Christian Jesus. And he's not allowed to party. You can flip his cross upside down. Now you're welcome at the party. You can twist his scripture. Now you're welcome at the party. You can speak his words backwards. Now you're casting spells at the party. But you can't invite Jesus. So I was learning demons don't like Jesus. That thing that rocked my bed really doesn't like Jesus. But I have to read the Bible to really be with God. That was what I was thinking. And that's a lot of work. Because all I remembered as a kid is like King James. And I hated Shakespeare. I was like, that's not, like, I got to put that off a little longer. I didn't know there were other versions. I didn't know that there was like, you know, the ESV and the NLT and the NIV. Like, I didn't know there was a one I could really understand. I knew there were kid books. And I knew there was the thou shouts, you know. And I didn't know how to figure it out for myself. I didn't have confidence I could. I didn't think I was smart enough to wrap my head around it. So I just kept kind of walking by. But then this guy in college, he went to mass every week. He only missed it once and got food poisoning and never again did he miss mass. And he was a wholesome guy, kind of like a golden boy, you know, and I fell for him. And here I am back in my old pattern, right? Except now in the back of my head, I'm like, I have herpes. This is a good guy. He's, you know, he's kind of holding out with the same kind of plans. He's got values. He's got morals. He knows this God and this Jesus thing. You know, I could, like, I, I, I was kind of camped out there for a little while, and I wait the whole year. You know, we're just friends. We're good friends this whole year. I wait the whole year till I graduate, and then I let him know. And, I mean, he was not cruel at all. He was just honest, and he wasn't interested in that way. And that's when it all just crumbled. I was like, he's, like, the best guy I've ever met, and he didn't want me. And I was very open and honest about who I was, what I had, what I had done. And he accepted me as a friend, right? But he did. And so I just went home. I, you know, I, I tried not to cry the whole time I was in a cap and gown. Because I told him, like, the day before I was going to walk across the stage and get a diploma. So I'm trying not to cry. I'm trying to be excited about this. But at the same time, I'm just like, now where am I going in life? Like, I don't have a job lined up. I'm graduating, but I don't have a, the, the guy. I don't have a job. You know, what am I going to do? I come home that night and I just weep, like just that ugly weeping, that weeping where you don't have energy to do anything else. And I go to God because he's my genie, right? And so I go to God and I say, God, please never let me fall in love with another person unless it's who you have for me. I'm done. And I think that was the first time I ever gave anyone willingly control. I'd been trying to finesse my way, manipulate my way, change myself to get what I wanted. And in that moment, to this God that I did barely understood, not until you, I don't want anyone, like if you want me to be single, cool. I don't want to ever have this ache in my heart again. I don't want to waste time falling for anyone ever again, unless you want me to. 
And in that moment, something was impressed on me, this thought that comes from not me. That just said, you treat me like a genie and I can be so much more than that. And I felt in that moment so much hope and so much shame at one time because I'm like, I'm so I'm guilty of treating the God of everything like a mere genie in a bottle. Who the heck am I? So I chalked that up to that's another thing wrong with me. But at the same time, I was like, wait, but you talked to me. You heard me. And so in that moment, I was like, I need to read this Bible. You know, I'd been reading about the occult and a lot of quote, you, you start digging into that stuff. A lot of people bring up the book of Revelation. And often it's a lot of Christians shining light on all the crazy stuff going on. So they're quoting Bible left and right. And I just kind of skimmed over that part because I was like, that's confusing. Just instantly I had this thought, Bible's confusing, gloss right over it, move on to normal English. But for the first time I was like, I'm going to start in Revelation. It took me a couple days, but I pulled out my laptop and I was secretly, because I was living with my mom at the time, I was secretly reading Revelation. Couldn't let her know. Pridefully, she'd been praying for me for years, and I'd been arguing back and forth about, you know, there's a little truth in everything. you got to put it all together, you know, all this stuff. So pridefully, I was like, she can't know I'm a Christian. She'll, she'll know she was right, or, you know, whatever you think when you're, like, barely out of teenage years. And so I read an annotated book of Revelation by this guy who just was called by God to do it, you know, and he just annotated it. So that means that every verse then you might have to read like 16 paragraphs or maybe just five sentences about like what that means, what it's referring to elsewhere in the Bible, how it fits in. So in all that, like it took me, I think, two weeks to read the book of Revelation after, after work, because at this point I had a job. After work every day, it took me like two weeks to read it. And at the end, because of all those footnotes, I understood what Jesus had done for me on the cross. And so alone on my couch... I can see myself just sitting there. I'm like, I think it's this easy. I think I just, I just say it, you know? And so in my heart, you know, in my head, I just said, I'm sorry, and I want you. And in that moment, I felt so much weight gone, so much hope. I was like giddy because I knew I was messed up, but now someone could fix me. And I knew life was still, like nothing had changed except this one huge thing. But he could change all the stuff that hadn't changed. And there was hope now. And it wasn't on me anymore. And I had, I was on the winning team. And now I was that girl, part of something bigger. But not in a horror movie kind of way where, like, I'm running around trying not to die. But in this way, like, hey, you're the daughter of the king of heaven. You wrecked my world in the best way. My world needed to be wrecked because I had wrecked it so much and I was still trying to put together this sloppy kingdom for myself thinking that I had to impress somebody thinking I had to impress God I grew up praying things like Lord because sometimes I would sense the need of like asking for not going to hell but I didn't know what it meant I'd be like Lord if only if there's not enough room in heaven for everyone let my parents go and I'll go to hell you know, I didn't get it. I didn't get it at all. And in that moment, I was like, we can all go. And I got so excited. I was like, wait, we can all go. It's that easy. It's that easy. And, you know, a few weeks later, I got convicted because, you know, I read Revelations and I read Genesis. You know, you read the end and you read the beginning. Then I hit up a friend from high school, the only Christian I knew in high school. 
who was just unapologetically Christian but still friends with everybody, I was like, hey, I think I'm a Christian now. What do I do? I've read Revelation and I've read Genesis. He's like, read Mark. And at this point, he was in divinity school. And he was, you know, at a church up in Connecticut. And he's like, I'm actually preaching on it in a couple weeks. And so I drove up to Connecticut with my mom, met the girl he was going to marry, listened. His sermon was the first sermon I ever heard. It was about self-esteem and how that don't matter because it's what God says about you, not what you say. And that's exactly what I needed to hear. So I came back and said, I need a church. And so I prayed and I Googled and I was going to go church shopping. And I just went to that first church and it just felt like I came all dressed up, you know, heels, dress, peacoat, early like most people weren't even there. I learned later, you know, at church, and people don't always come early. But, you know, I was there, and I said, I don't have a Bible. I just assumed they would have a stack of Bibles for us sinners that just showed up. But they found me one because I was like, I don't have a Bible. But I know that's like what you do. You sit and you open your Bible and you read what they're saying. So they found me a Bible, and I sat down, and someone came right over, sat down with me, and the pastor's wife came over and said, you're going to love my husband. He's not here this week, but you're going to love him. And the sermon, I don't even remember what it was about, but it was about grace. I went home, and I told my mom, hey, I went to church today. Next week, would you come? Because she'd never found a church. And now her daughter, who she's been praying for for, at that point, 23 years, was inviting her. And so she started coming. God has done so much in my life, but helping me understand what grace is, helping me understand what grace is, how infinite his love is, that's the game changer. It's, it's allowed me to let go of so much um, and put him in the driver's seat over and over again. And I've seen it do the same for other people. And it's, it's amazing because when I came to him, I remember one night I was on my knees praying and I had this mental list of things I wanted in a guy, and it was long, pretty much a unicorn list. Like, this dude had to have, like, a race car and, you know, like anime, but also have, like, this refined palette and be, you know, world-traveled world and be mature and, you know, be able to build a house. And, like, I don't, like, just no wonder I couldn't get him, and I was trying to be everything on earth to get him, and it didn't work. So I said, Lord, I'm doing away with this list. All I care about is that he loves you and he can make me laugh. And then at church, a few, it was a month to the day this guy shows up and he's got really cool tattoo sleeves. He's got like double zero or zero, I don't know about gauges, but he's got earrings in and he's alone and he's standing up just praising the Lord. And at that point, I was not there to find a dude. I came to church to find Jesus, but he caught my eye and I was like, He's over there. He's, 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 you know, doing his thing. He's worshiping the Lord. But fast forward a couple years and, you know, a lot of focusing on Jesus because we both had that. He was coming back and I was coming for the first time. But now we're married. And what's amazing is when we were friends, I let him know up front. I just decided at that point, I'm just letting close people know, hey, I got herpes. You know, that's my life. Real talk. Lesson learned. Don't be foolish like I was, right? And I tell him. Um, and we're 18 years apart. So this dude, he's grown, he's seen life. And I'm telling him this is this kid just straight out of college. And he's just like, oh, yeah, that's annoying. Sorry about that. And then we keep jogging. <laughs> and so anyway, fast forward all this time, we get married, all this stuff. I get tested and it's gone. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. 
Thank God you. took it away. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Because, and that's not everybody's story. That's not the point. I'm just saying for me, it's one of the things he took away. There's, there's things in my story, like being addicted to pornography, that took longer. It took a lot of intimacy with the Lord. It took years, but he took that away. He's taken many amazing things away from my husband that he was grappling with, with our friends, with our family. We've seen amazing stories, and it's, it's different for everyone. I know, I know people now that still struggle with the same things that he took away from me. I still have trichotillomania, and I've come to, to realize it's like it's because there's still a lesson there. There's still a work to be done there, and, um, and so I'm okay with that. I trust him. But we have a beautiful, we have a beautiful girl. I was about to say baby, because she's always my baby, but she's, she's walking and talking and doing math now. So she's not so little anymore. But, you know, this whole life, I realize it's all about giving up control to the only one who's actually in control. And the less of my life I try to hold on to, the more I give to him. You know, he's, he's redeemed finances that I royally screwed up. He's redeemed, you know, character flaws, you know, in me, in our marriage. You know, he, he, the grace that he gives me allows me to not beat people over the head with their flaws or hold them up high like they're perfect, but see everyone as just a person that needs his love. So all of that, you know, all, all that mess, and now, you know, I can ask him to rebuke demons out of my sleep. You know, I used to have nightmares. And one night, he's like, you should have called on me. So I started doing it. And now they, I wake up. And I think that that's, that's the story of my whole life, is I called on him and I finally woke up. Michelle, who is Jesus to you? He's my everything worth having. He's my king of kings. He's my lord of lords. He's my commander. He is my provider. He's my deliverer. He's my savior. He's my best friend. You know, he's my, he's my bridegroom. He's, he goes before me and he goes behind me. And he's, he's what I lean on every single day. Not only do I lean on him, but he's the reason I can lean. You know, the breath of life. And so... You know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and He's my God. Michelle, for people who are watching your testimony right now and feel they're not in a position to let that control go, and and they're in that same place just holding on because um, this God doesn't seem real. Yeah. Maybe He hasn't come through in their lives, and they have been asking and asking. Yeah. And... They don't want to let go. Right. What can you say from what you have experienced to those people who are just having a hard time letting go? Yeah. So my favorite verse is actually perfect because my favorite verse is John six forty three, and my favorite translation is in the NLT, and it's, it's in quotations because it's Jesus speaking, and it said, stop complaining about what I said, said Jesus. He's talking to his disciples. And I think that in my own life, when I was trying to be in control, even, and even now, you know, if I disagree with God, 
the creator of all things that knows everything and has all the power and the provision and provides all the stuff, I need to just stop complaining about what he said and do it or trust him or let go or wait or abide or rely or whatever it is that I'm feeling like that I'm fighting. What I got to do is I just got to stop complaining about what he said. So that's what I, that's what I tell people is just stop complaining about what he said and try. We're terrible at keeping our own lives together. So what do you have to lose? Michelle, any last words for people who are watching your testimony right now? I'm praying for them. I think knowing that countless people will come across this video, I'm praying that you feel less alone, less misunderstood, less hopeless, and that you feel that giddiness I got to feel that day when I realized there's a way out. Okay, we went way over this morning, but I wanted to share those testimonies with you. I thought it was absolutely wonderful. And look, God healed her of herpes, took it completely away. If he can do it for herpes, he can do it for AIDS. If he can do it for AIDS, he can do it for shingles. If he can do it for shingles, guess what? He can do it for diabetes, heart blood pressure, kidney problems heart problem, foot problem, toe, any problem. But we got to line up with him and do what pleases him and he can work it out. Let's pray out and then we're going to our last song of the morning. We pray tomorrow God bring us back 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for another episode of Jesus in the Morning. Let's pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for all that has been said and done here today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for these powerful testimonies. And God, help us to look to the hills from which cometh our help. All of our help comes from you. You made the heavens and the earth. Help us to stop looking to us and looking to people and, and just looking around in the natural. But God, help us to become a spiritual people who follow the word and the will of a spiritual God. In the name of Jesus, we ask. And, Father, as we depart this morning, bless our going out, bless our coming in, meet the need in our lives according to your riches and glory by your Son, Christ Jesus. And, Father, as I go out today, I ask that you anoint everything that I touch. Lord, even going to see people and to take things to people this day, let it be your anointing that lead and guide me. Let your spirit lead and guide me today, O oh God. Don't let me say what I shouldn't. Don't let me do what I shouldn't. But let me obey you to the letter. In the name of Jesus, do what's pleasing and acceptable unto you. And, Lord, again, we ask that you would hear Sherry, hear Brother Louis today. And anyone else that's going through pain and problems, bless those coming through the archives and the podcast. Lord, do the same for them. Bless and heal in the name of Jesus. We thank you. We give you glory. We give you the honor and praise. And, Father, we ask it all again in Jesus' name. Amen and hallelujah. May the Lord watch between me and thee while we are absent, one from another, in the name of Jesus. Go today in love and peace. Share the good news of Jesus. 
and give someone something of quality. God loves a cheerful giver. Have a blessed day. I speak the blessings and miracles and uncommonly things upon you today of God, June the 8th, 2023, in Jesus' name. So at this time, I'm going to say bye-bye. But before I say bye-bye, happy birthday to Dot. Happy birthday to Dot. Happy birthday, Dorothy Goodman. Happy belated birthday to you. I'm late but didn't forget. <laughs> God bless you, Sister Dot. Have a wonderful day. I'm going to find this last request of the morning. And uh, after this today, I won't be coming back. But uh, God bless you. And I know he's able to keep us and to see us through. Hallelujah. So we thank him today. Hallelujah.
wasn't no pretty folk. Thank you. But you think you look daddy. Thank you. But I wish I had somebody. Thank somebody you. Somebody get a little ugly boy. Thank you. And just say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. When my life could have been cut off. Thank you. And the neighbor didn't even know. Thank you. You let me made it. Thank you. You let me live. Thank you. May not have everything thank I want, you. but I thank you for what you gave me.